Okay. Roll call, please. Okay, Trustee Abalata. Here. Trustee Banerjee is not here. Trustee Chiquin. Here. Uh, Trustee DeVries is not here yet. And Trustee Peterson. Here. Thank you. We do have a quorum. Wonderful. Trustee DeVries should be here shortly. Um, now, we have a couple public comments and, and several later during the budget item. Uh, so, Let's go into public comment. It's a familiar name, Vanessa Cedeno. <laughs> Hi, Vanessa. Thank you. And Board of Trustees, um, I'm here to read a prepared statement from uh, Supervisor Wilma Chan. So as the chair of the board health committee and someone who has supported Highland Hospital and Alameda Health System, both locally and in the state legislature for 25 years. I would like to go on the record with a few remarks about the current financial crisis at Alameda Health System. It is undeniable that all public hospital systems in California are under, underfunded. California has the lowest Medi-Cal reimbursement rate in the country and supplemental funding streams like DISH are volatile. It is also undeniable that without AHS, thousands of county residents would not have access to the excellent health care that they deserve. It is true that AHS has some of the most dedicated doctors, nurses, interns, technicians, and other staff, looking around the room, <laughs> in the region. And that is why the Board of Supervisors, the Board of Trustees, and the AHS administration um, must deal with the current crisis in a collaborative and in a collegial matter. Um, I was most disturbed by the memo that was sent to AHS's employees on June 10th from the CEO, in which he directly attempts to shift the blame for the current situation onto the county, um, falsely stating that no general fund support from the county normally is available no general fund support from the county normally available to other comprehensive public health systems like AH House. Let me note that I received the memo from our county employees and not from the Board of Trustees or the CEO, which at minimum indicates a deep level of disrespect for the county partnership. I'm not here to defend the county. We have worked tirelessly and lobbied tirelessly at the federal and state levels um, for more public hospital funding. Um, issued $680 million in bonds for the new acute care tower. We worked to pass Measure A, which this fiscal year provided $150 million in sales tax revenues directly to AHS. Moreover, in the current fiscal year, we provided direct funding in the form of approximately $80 million in contracts for services and um, have the, revolving, the running loan limit of $130 million with the intra-year limit of $180 million. So besides all of that, um, I am here, frankly, to question why at this critical time, um, instead of working together, the administration's foremost purpose seems to be to shift the blame, create dissension between employees um, and its board with the county. I also question the administration's lack of transparency and the unwillingness to acknowledge its own past errors and ongoing operational issues, which have cost the system millions of dollars. 
In fact, while the CEO was advocating on June 10th's health committee for cooperation, he was sending the memo at the exact same time to everyone um, but the county and blaming us for the current crisis. Um, so I appreciate the hours of volunteer time from the Board of Trustees, but ask that you make sure that all relevant information needed to make these tough decisions and that you hold your administration accountable. This level of deception and scapegoating must stop now. We ask that the AHS board demand that the administration proceed in a transparent and collaborative manner with all stakeholders to address the current crisis. Our board awaits your final budget action and looks forward to further discussions in the service of our county residents. And thank you for letting me go over to Thank you, Vanessa. <clears throat> Rika Espiridon. I butchered your last name probably there. I apologize. I'll probably do the same. <laughs> Hi, Chairman, members of Finance Committee, Mr. Finley and AHS staff. My name is Rika Esperidian with Alameda County Healthcare Services. Khalid Chawla, Director of Healthcare Services Agency, has asked me to read this statement from her. My purpose before you today is twofold, to remind us of our shared missions and to reiterate my ongoing offer to do what I can to help Alameda Health System managed through its current financial challenges. First, I want to offer our gratitude for your dedication to a system of care that promotes wellness, eliminates disparities, and optimizes the health of our diverse communities. It is clear that our visions are aligned. I also note your promise to the community you serve and agree that we are the community. It is within the spirit that I address you today. As you heard from the Board Health Committee Chair, we are concerned about recent communications to the employees and physicians at AHS and the broader community through this week's media efforts to cast blame on the county. These are difficult times for healthcare providers across our nation and state, and these challenges require partnership, not provocation. The county has listened, has engaged, and has tried to help. I am disappointed and deeply concerned by the budget proposal before you today. Last year, Mr. Finley and I initiated regular meetings between AHS and HCSA executive teams to align on key initiatives and problem solve on issues that arise. AHS financial issues have not been a topic of these conversations. In fact, though we have discussed at a high level the issue of the licensure st status of John George, None of the other proposals before you have been the topic of our joint conversations. This is a loss of valuable time in a financial crisis. As recently as last week, I expressed my interest in helping AHS to maximize revenue capture opportunities and to reduce unnecessarily lengthy hospital stays. At the conclusion of our meeting, we agreed to review opportunities to maximize revenues at John George in the short term and in the long term to review the overall structure of the system. Additionally, we understand the pressures caused by the need for additional community-based options to help AHS reduce unnecessarily lengthy hospital stays. In fact, the County Board of Supervisors approved a $5 million flexible funding pool last July, the first $1 million of which we have dedicated to help AHS transition long length of stay patients experiencing homelessness into housing with linked supportive services. To date, 
this fund has successfully placed a Highland patient with an eight-month <coughs> length of stay, a frequent phase in the San Leandro Emergency Department, and a Fairmont patient with an eight-year length of stay. We continue to make progress on others. We're also working on medical respite and other community-based solutions. We've held comprehensive conversations about these initiatives, and we're stunned to hear that we are being held out as the problem. We still want to help, and we are committed to working with your leadership to find opportunities to assist AHS in continuing to meet the mission we share. To this point, the Healthcare Services Agency has engaged Toyan Associates to assess the situation at AHS. We believe we can find ways to improve financial performance and are investing in this health check to reach a diagnosis that will keep our valuable public health system in service to our community. This is in the best interest of the residents of Alameda County, and we look forward to next steps in our partnership. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, before we go on to approval of minutes, um, I'm going to uh, make a change, recommend a change in the agenda, and just consensus will move with that. Um, to move the contract discussion up in front of the uh, item, what was it, uh, C, C3. C3. There's public comment that is general, that that would happen right now, and then there are items relating to, uh, there's public comment related to particular items on the agenda. Our comments were for public comment. General public comment. Uh, the clerk says they were, the specification was around the budget item. Okay. If you'd like to change that. No, this is affecting employees here, so we do want to talk. We understand, yeah. So I think it would be better in that context to talk at that time. So I'm recommending that we move the contract approvals right uh, ahead of the budget discussion. I don't think we're going to have a lot of discussion on those items. Second. And allow us to go. In favor? Okay. We have consensus on that. Let's move to approval of minutes. I make a motion that the minutes be approved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. Thank you. Now we move to uh, information items and uh, finance report. All right. Welcome. Welcome. All right. Thanks, Dave. All right. So um, I took the liberty this month to um, change up the PowerPoint presentation to make it a little less kind of number driven in the bullet points and a little more verbiage. It's hoping that would um, kind of make the ease of the understanding of the financial statements, improve that. So um, we're going to talk about the April highlights, um, the brief discussion about the forecast and then the, um, for FY19 and then the forecast for the 12 month rolling. So the volumes in April um, were very strong. Patient days um, for acute and post-acute were both over budget. Um, post-acute was over because we had a um, prior period adjustment, so it wasn't all new patients. It was a little bit of an adjustment from the prior month. Um, length of stay was over budget, which has been the trend for the year. 
um, clinic visits, although they were under budget, they like almost were at budget and, and over, so less than a percent under, so an amazing performance there for that group. And the physician um, RVUs continue to be over budget. So the strong um, volume performance um, helped us achieve our um, operating income of 6.2, and you'll notice on the um, deck that was loaded, there was um, a typo on that particular line. And there's still a typo, I just changed it. So, sorry about that. So the operating income 6.3 at budget for the month, and the EBITARM is at 8.4, which is um, just a little bit above, 0.1% above the budget, and year to date, it's still running 0.4% under budget, but you'll see later in the deck that we are still per forecasting that we will be at the target by the end of the year. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so net patient revenue under budget, uh, there's a little more about that in the next slide, and the supplemental revenues, 3.7, and we'll talk about that. And expenses are 2.2 million over budget, but 14 million under for the year to date. So gross patient revenue over budget correlates with our higher volumes, so not unexpected. And the net patient service revenue is running 1.3 million under budget. Um, and our collection, related collection percentage, 1.2% under budget, which is as expected given our projected shortfall in net patient service revenue. Um, so the Medi-Cal waiver program is about $3 million over budget. We have been, as we approach year in, we've been reevaluating our supplemental programs and our reserves and, you know, truing them up for the year-end process. So we are bringing in um, $3 million of our reserves that we don't feel that we need. We feel we're a little conservative, so we're going to bring in a piece of those. On the expense side, as I said, we were 2.2 um, over budget um, for the month. Um, FTEs continue to increase as the open positions are being filled. Um, the salary and wages combined were a million over budget, but that um, is in alignment with the increased patient volumes. And the benefits, um, I believe last month or maybe it was the month before we had the conversation about the um, spread on the benefit budget being a little um, um, not quite aligning the way we would expect in the last couple months of the year. So if we looked at the actual run rate of the benefits, very consistent with the history, but the budget takes this little dip down again. So we see this in April. A little bit in May, not as dramatic, but in June it also takes a pretty big dip of about a million dollars. But kind of straightens out by the end of the year on a year-to-date basis. So pharmaceuticals, we've booked, um, their actual performance was at budget. Um, that, um, that manager there does a really good job of managing the inventory and, and everything, the utilization. But we have um, some potential 340B audit findings. And the number is not totally defined, but we have started to create a reserve of half a million a month. And so you'll see that for the next three months. Um, with the expectation that by um, the end of July we'd have a little firmer number to see hopefully the 1.5 is close so we may end up booking a little more or a little less depending on the internal auditor's final findings. 
And the year-to-date operating expenses, I said 14 million under budget. And Luis, I'm sure, will have a few more comments during his presentation. So I don't want to steal his thunder. Um, so these are just some key metrics that we've been maintaining. Days cash in hands are, um, in, are the days in cash increased due to the timing of the payroll. We funded it, but then it actually um, paid the following month. So we got a little bump there this month. And days in accounts payable um, have increased um, due to a change in invoice processing. So prior to our um, that team's experience going through the lien process, um, they were taking um, 45, sometimes 60 days to actually get the invoices into our accounts payable system. So they are running about 30 days now. So we are seeing more actual invoices in our system and it's um, creating the days to pop up a little bit. Um, cash collected from the um, patient accounting group is um, right at our net revenue estimate, so that's good. It's 100.5%. So um, this is the slide that shows the um, net reimbursement receivable, and so it's currently 53.8 uh, million net. And so I put this in because I, the ones that are highlighted in light yellow those are the recoupments, and so I wanted to point out those were monies that we expected to pay back, and that information flows into another site later. So I just kind of wanted to bring it up as a view now. So here's the NNB balance. Um, so the 98.7 million um, is actually the balance at 531, and so we're a little over 100,000 at 430, but lower than our target. And then um, kind of to continue our conversations that we had um, at the board meeting to t where we were talking about, you know, if we took our NNB and we said if we, we paid everything that we owed in our um, reimbursement reserves, what would that do to our NNB? What would it really look like? So at the end of June, we're projecting that our um, NMB balance would be 92.2 million, and that if we were to have repaid those funds or had like a a reserve out there, you know, some cash sitting in a separate account, um, we would end up repaying these various programs that I detailed out, and our revised NMB would be 260 million. And so we would actually be over the NMB target by 130 million, which is just coincidental. We have the same number for the target and for the overage. So we, um, we would like to, so we've included this slide, so we can just kind of keep that thought process in front of us that although the NMB is looking, you know, really positive as we come into year end, if everything, if we paid everything that we think we owe, we would significantly be over it. Just, we're anticipating being required to make those payments, correct? Yes. So the we've had the um, the Medi-Cal FQHC recoupment and a portion of the waiver recoupment, about 20 million of the waiver recoupment. We've had that in the forecast up until this last month. And so we've not received um, any notification that they are going to ask for it back before June 30th. So 
um, I've removed it and kind of pushed I pushed it forward on my forecasting to fiscal year 2020. Mm -hmm. Now, it may come out by June of 2020, but the waiver program is actually expecting to settle by the end of 2020. So it, it may, they may want to be repaid in 2021. So we're just trying to, or I'm trying to keep that liability or that possibility out there in front of us. So it's unclear when that shoe's gonna fall. I don't know, it's whenever we get right. the letter in the mail. So they're going to and then their I, own. then I'll tell my friend and he'll go oh no got to get that money back. This is the state of just to clarify this is the state of California. The waiver is right. uh, the state of California yes yeah. for this settlement and right. the money doesn't go back to the state it goes to other counties that were under all oh, right. Uh, so it's a pool of money. Yeah. And then they reallocate. The, uh, the assumption is that we were overpaid. We this were is. significantly overpaid. And so we knew that at the I didn't time. I didn't acknowledge that. So yeah, okay. That's the presumption. Yes, we knew that at the time, which is I why we... the system can be overpaid, actually. That's, an, that's another debate. That's a whole other, yeah, yeah. another conversation. But that's also what drove the accounting team and the reimbursement team to, when we realized that we were overpaid, we created a reserve. Yeah. So that we didn't pull it into income and then turned around and had to take it out of income in a subsequent year. And then the AB 85 realignment monies. Um, so what happens on that is um, we receive monies. Um, so we receive money like in, so the 17, we would have gotten those realignments in fiscal year 15. Then two years later they do a true up because everybody has supplied their various reports and they're able to see the whole group and what their final numbers were. And then they determine who has to, what they're gonna claw back. And so we, and this transaction passes through the county, through Alameda County. So we are estimating that for fiscal year 17, we will be repaying back 26. And then for 19, we'll be paying back 28. So 19 will happen in 21 and 17, I would have expected that to happen this June, but we've gotten, we haven't gotten notification to repay it back yet. But, but just to clarify, repayment to the county just refers to it passes paying it to the county and then the county passes repays through the them. state of California. Correct. Okay. So like a pass through. So this isn't, right, so the, the uh, entity in charge of the uh, repayment to the state is, is the county. But right. we're not, uh, it doesn't stop. In other words, the county has to pass it on. Right, so in fiscal year 17, the county passed to us um, 26 million. We, it um, usually comes through as an addendum to the HPAC contract. Mm. So we do a calculation and determine whether we think we're gonna be able to keep any of it or return it based on our cost. And so in this case, we had determined that we were going to have, we were gonna get it we're gonna repay it. So in the fiscal year 17, you see it coming in and you see it being immediately reserved. I see. And creating a liability. And so we did the same thing for FY19 because we're not expecting to see that come back. But you'll see during the budget presentation, we have a situation where we're expecting to keep 16 million of it. I see. So it, it doesn't always go back 100%, it just mm -hmm. depends on the calculation. And our credit line limit is what, 130, going down to 125. 
And this, just to summarize, this shows the NMB going doubling. If this was so, we'd be double. We'd be 130 over if the this, current line. If we'd had to pay all this back at the same time, right? Yeah. Okay. And in the budget um, deck, there is this. There's the slide that we showed last month with the, all the lines in it, and so I put it in as a table because I was hoping that might be a little clearer than looking at the four lines and trying to sort that through. But if you all prefer the um, the line graph, you know we can just do NNB and then NNB revised. Yeah, let me know. I, I think you it's. Want a I think both of these uh, presentations are helpful. Okay. So this is the um, slides regarding the year-end forecast. So the assumptions um, have remained um, consistent. Haven't made any major changes or actually no changes on the assumption. We are down to having um, 10 months of actual and two months of forecast. So we can see here, April, I've, um, I took out you know all the other columns, this gave you the last little bit so it was big enough to read. Um, so you have April being actual and then we have a projection for May and June. And you'll see that we are still projecting the 4.6 mm -hmm. to be the Abaddon margin. Now, on the rolling forecast, um, the assumptions we made consistent, but I will caveat this by saying that this forecast does not include any of the budget revisions that you will see later. So this is the, um, the original. We're just carrying forward the activity the way we have before based on the actual, so. Right, right. And, and, and I'll bring it up now, but. Can, can everyone really be careful to use their mics? We have a lot of people in the audience and this yeah. is really important that they hear what we can say. Okay. Um, when we forecast the shortfalls through a period of what, four or five years and it came up to half a, almost a half a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. a half a billion dollars, that was based on the assumption that we did nothing around the... Correct. Yes. Okay. And so, so this is, this doesn't factor in any of the um, <coughs> proposed changes uh -huh. to operations that, that you'll see later. Right, okay. So, um, so last month, the EBITDA margin was projected to be um, about a 1% negative. So with March, and March turns out to be about six months after our go-live. And so starting in March, we're starting to see our, net, our revenues start to creep back up after the epic go-live and our collections improving and things like that. So this is factoring in that positive. And so we see that that EBITDA margin is kind of creeping closer to break even again. Got it. Okay, so does anybody have any questions? I know it's really quick, but wanted to leave enough time for the budget discussion. I think that's yeah. probably where the bulk of our questions will be. I figured that. Um, okay. Thank you. No problem. And if I recall, Luis is next. Get his clicker there and we'll be set. Changing of the baton. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> so I just want to, as far as the operating report for the month of April, piggybacking on what Ann has shared, uh, we did experience higher 
uh, patient activity. So I'll just highlight several key things for you all in some of the, in, in all of our d different business units. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out in population health, this is where we have the large portion, the largest portion of this business unit is our care management division, and this is the team that that uh, really. Uh, facilitates and works with our patients and our nursing team and our physicians to ensure that we can continue to move our patients through the continuum of care. One of the, one of the things that we uh, one of the things that we're we're very pleased to see is that we've been able to bring in we've had interim leadership in a lot of our facilities and so we've been able to bring in and hire. Uh, strong managers to continue to support those efforts and that activity. And as you all know, we've had a lot of discussions, a lot of conversations over the past months about throughput and the importance of making sure that we're able to move patients across uh, our different sites and our different facilities, making sure that they're receiving the appropriate level of care. So this is very good as, as, as a result in doing so. Uh, we're able to reduce the cost, recognizing that those contracted labor expenses are much higher. In provider delivery, as Ann mentioned, we continue to see great productivity. Uh, and, and is reflected in our worked RVUs for our providers. Now, again, this is uh, the baseline that we used. Okay, jump in. in when questions. you mentioned throughput, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I know that earlier um, the speaker who was representing the healthcare services agency mentioned a couple of patients that we had in beds for a long time, like eight months, eight years, and they helped us move them out. What's the total amount of money we spent on patients in beds that shouldn't have been because we didn't have housing for them last year? To 28 million? It was about 28 million. 28 million, right. So I appreciate the partnership to move people, but we, we need to up the game there, don't we? Uh, I think, well, what we've realized is that uh, of the million dollars that were identified uh, for the county to support these very difficult patients, uh, we, we recognized that a million dollars just wasn't enough. Uh, we went through that sooner and faster than we had anticipated, recognizing that the patients that we were able to manage were very complex and required a significantly additional dollars for that. And, and that's not a, uh, not blaming the county for the homeless crisis, but it's a reality that as homeless people use our services because we are their provider, if we can't move them out of a hospital bed because they're homeless, it cost the system $28 million last year. And again, that's not the county's fault but it's a reality that we're facing in partnership with the county. It's a crisis. And that's, that, that contributes to our bottom line significantly. I just want to point that out, and we all need to work on that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. And that, that continues to be a great focus for us. And I'll highlight that uh, a little bit in our acute slide here. Yeah, I actually, I have a follow-up to that. So it, this may be too early, but have we gotten to the place where we can quantify what the actual amount of dollars we would need to do alternative placement to uh, remove pe move people out of beds into respite, uh, respite or, or housing. Uh, what that, you know, is there a, f a range maybe you could uh, get at? I mean, I'm uh, just curious if, if we even imagine that. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I mean, the number that we referenced earlier was what we have experienced as avoidable or denied days, uh, which we can track that and we can see certainly that very accurately. Uh, as far as placement, placement varies depending on, you know, what, what is necessary for the patient mm -hmm. and the different levels of acuity and how you're providing different levels of care from home care all the way to uh, complex Correct. skill nursing or subacute. And so, Again, that, that varies. What Going back to the earlier point, uh, you know, with, uh, with the dollars that have been identified and the collaboration that's happening with 
our population health team and the county, uh, we're seeing that, uh, you know, these very complex patients, it's taking a tremendous amount of resources just to get them uh, moved through the system and out into the appropriate level of care. So yeah. it, it's difficult to say. I don't have a number. We don't have an estimated number of what that would cost. But we uh, our forecasting and planning and our budget uh, increased uh, dollars uh, for just in, 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 in an effort to support these types of activities. So what, what we, we spend, spend currently plus incremental dollars well, for the next year. We spent a couple million at least last year on housing. Correct. Essentially, and we're not in the in business of providing yes. housing. We're, we're a health care provider, but housing is, is health. And so about 2.2 million of our budget went to actually housing people? It went to placement. Placement, uh, in placement. housing, right. Correct, it, in, in various forms. And that's on top of the 28 million that we spent because they weren't housed and we couldn't use those beds for other patients that desperately need those services. And, and well, and to, to, to qualify that, it's, it's, or to further, it's, we didn't spend 28 million, is we didn't recover 28 million because of the fact that they were beyond clinical care and they were denied. So we weren't paid for those days when there the was administrative. The patient remained status. in the facility and right. they should have been in a different level of care. Right, but admin or deny, but the, your point is that actually uh, what we're talking about is the dollars we didn't recover, uh, which would be what we charge, but the charge uh, or what we would have expected to recover actually may have been less than what we actually spent. And we could have used those beds, and our and providers and our nurses could be serving Other more nurses. people from who need the services. <laughs> more people for which it would be the right level right. of care. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Correct. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack you. No, 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 that's that's great conversation. So, again, just speaking to the uh, highlight here, I just want to really uh, emphasize the great work that's happening with our providers and our provider delivery. We continue to see great productivity, and that's reflected when we see ambulatory, and when we look at the ambulatory volumes, we were about 1% pretty much right on target, right on, on uh, budget for our clinic <coughs> visits, and this is largely driven by the work that's happening in our ambulatory SBU with Dr. Bavaria and Catherine Horner and they're really focusing on making sure that we uh, continue to see patients and continue to add patients as appropriate to our um, templates as well as focusing and reducing no-show rates from, from uh, our patients currently. Uh, their, their efficiencies, uh, they're continuing to stay within target in their expense management. So again, they're staying on budget and meeting their clinic visits, but doing it with uh, very efficiently with limited resources. Acute care, this is where I wanted to highlight here. This is where you see that impact uh, of, of patient throughput. Uh, we have higher activity, so as you can see, our daily census is um, about 8% above budget. So, so we're at 230 versus a budget of 213. Uh, and our discharges are down by 4%, so which then is reflective of the higher length of stay, largely driven by here at Highland. And this is where we see the higher, the, 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 the increased number of very difficult and complex patients. And so our length of stay here from a budget of 5.3 is at 7.0. And that's very concerning. And as we start looking at that, that has a direct impact yeah. on operations, uh, starting from the ED, moving on through the facility and beyond. When you look at the case mix index, that's also an indication of acuity, and we're seeing that we're a budget of 1.43 and we're at 1.57 uh, here at Highland. So again, higher acuity, higher length of stay, less number of discharges, higher patient days in the facility. So again, we're just busy, it's full, and we have difficulties in moving those patients. 
Uh, as a result, we see our expenses are higher. Uh, the staff did a wonderful job managing registry, but our costs were still higher, and that's largely driven by overtime, and overtime driven by the fact that we have higher patient activity, and our teams are, are managing that, but they're still staying within uh, their targets and how they're managing efficiency and productivity. In behavioral health, uh, we continue to see very complex patients. What I wanted to point out in this uh, slide, which you have, is the fact that we were at 100% occupancy. So John George continues to be extremely busy, and they continue to see very, very complex patients. And so our length of stay, as you can see, from 8.5 to 9.0, uh, that's pretty significant when you're looking at those patients there uh, in that facility. And then, uh, uh, as a result, uh, when we're looking at that higher acuity, uh, our costs are impacted due to the fact that you then begin to see a higher level of one-to-one -one coverage uh, to care for those patients. And so we're seeing that, and it's reflected in our cost for salaries and wages. Post-acute, we talked about uh, high activity. A, lot, a portion of this is driven by capture from previous months. But again, they continue to be very busy. Our skilled nursing facility is at 99%. Uh, so again, we're leveraging uh, every bed that we have in our system and how we are managing those patients through uh, the continuum of care. With our skilled nursing, um, Will we remain at 99%? I mean, we could add beds and, and fill them immediately. Is that correct? Yes. Any idea how many? No. I mean, could we double our, our skilled nursing capacity and fill it immediately? I don't know about that. Uh, that I mean, we have, I mean we, have about, we have over 300 beds. Uh, and they're always full. And they're at 99%. Right. And so I don't know if we would quite double, but we, additional beds would be certainly of benefit to the system for sure. I've never been to a skilled nursing facility that wasn't full <laughs> in our system. Mm -hmm. And our and the acuity's gone up. It has. I, w I would say that generally skilled nursing facilities run at high occupancies. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a shortage across the state. High demand. And if we had more mm -hmm. beds, would that help our throughput on the, in the hospitals? Certainly. And it's not just skilled nursing, but then, you know, you have different types of, of skilled nursing. And specifically where we have many challenges is when you have patients that have either behavioral needs as well, outside of just skilled nursing. Uh, also those that, you, that are uh, IV drug usage or, um, or... I hear that's on the decline. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, I'm not sure where. Yeah, I just, I mean, we, I just, I just want to honor, like, we have a lot of our, our, our staff here, and, and the work that you're doing is, is amazing, and the population that you serve is becoming more and more acute, mm -hmm. and um, it's, it's, a, it's just a tragedy. We're, we're really, we're, we're really facing this, um, and so when, when we hear that the, the length of stay has gone up 6% at John George, and our skilled nursing facilities at 99%, and 28 million un unrecovered on full beds at Highland, uh, it's, it's no wonder we're in the position we're in, and yet we still have 4,000 people on the streets of Oakland, uh, you know, sleeping on, on the streets of Oakland every night, 9,000 countywide. So I have a question, is the 28 million only for Highland, or does it include John George and San Leandro? That was for Highland. It was the sure. avoidable days for Highland okay. for the full calendar year. Do you have a yeah, sense of what they are for the other parts of the I system? don't have that information. Okay. 
And, and I would end up with just looking at our system support services. And um, again, they continue to do a very good job of managing expenses and running well within uh, their budget. So again, great efficiency and support of all of the patient activity that's happening across the system. With that, any other questions you may have? Any other questions from trustees? I think I've used my allotment for that. Yeah, I was going to say no. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and as promised, we're going to move contracts. Um, we have contracts for uh, approval right now, item C. And um, I. Yes, I think we need to pull up number three to discuss. Um, do, do we have any public comment items related? Okay. Um, if you would report on number three, um, or do we want to go through them individually? We should go through them individually. So the first one. Uh, agreement with UCSF neuro, neurosurgery. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I don't. Is anything going to be on the screen, or are we just going to go straight? Uh, I think it's in our packet. It's in your yeah, packet. It's okay. So I didn't know if it needed that. to be on the screen. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Are there any questions that you would like me to jump straight to, or do you want me to do a quick verbal summary of the yes. summary? High-level summary would be okay. preferred tonight. All right. So for clarification purposes, this is the proposed renewal with University of California, San Francisco, to provide neurosurgery services here. Um, they've already provided their inaugural services, which will be expiring at the end of this month, um, after having done an excellent job, in our opinion, as demonstrated by statistics, including a 54% increase in patient encounters and a two-thirds increase in department revenue generated. We have felt that the services rendered have met our expectations and leadership has decided that they would like to propose renewal. Um, if there's any specific questions about clinical, Dr. Jamaluddin would be happy, I'm sure, to speak to those. Okay. Any questions? Do you have a motion? Make a motion that uh, be approved. I second it. Second. All those in favor of the motion? Aye. Aye. Item two, East Bay Foundation for GME. Sure. East Bay Foundation, this is a long-going um, provider. Um, it's a foundation that's composed of um, basically a number of facilities such as ours, of which we're a member, where we take residents and use them for basically training purposes as well as to help us deliver our care to serve um, our patients. Um, after successful completion of the current year, we are proposing to renew yet again for another one-year term. We are proposing to increase by one the total number of residents who would be here. The reason that this is being requested is because as a result of a finding of the ACGME accrediting body, we were found to be slightly running over what was the limit of the number of hours of per resident we were supposed to be doing. So for recognition of that, we have adjusted. Um, so that is passed through as part of the reason for the proposed 7.1% increase. There are several other elements, including a cost of living adjustment for the salaries for the residents, etc., that lead to this. Um, aside from that, um, um, we have, let's see, uh, one element with regards to fiscal implications. Although there is a slight increase, as you would understand, partly due to the increase in resident number, um, the amount we're being asked 
you're being asked to approve the 2.9 million is the worst case scenario, if you will. It is assuming that everybody delivers the maximum theoretical possible amount of care and services that they could, but due to the nature of how they actually rotate through other facilities, the actual total delivered care, the run rate, if you will, is usually lower. And as a consequence, when we did the numbers based on historical run rates, the actual amount of money that we would be expecting to spend would be not the 2.9 million we're asking for as a contingency worst case, but 2.724. Comparing that with the budgeted amount that we've included in the FY20 proposed budget, that would actually leave us at even. So we just didn't ask for extra since historically we never really go that extra. But just in case something happens, we wanted to be prepared. Got it. Questions? Motion? Make a motion that uh, the East Bay Foundation be approved. I'll second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, item number three. Second back to you. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I've got uh, I've got Baljeet here that will walk us through that. Uh, I just want to commend his work along with the partnership and collaboration of our with our sheriff's department. Uh, we worked very closely to put together a comprehensive plan that revisited our structure and and uh, really provides the great service here to the. Great. To the I, if I might add, this was on a previous finance committee agenda. It was pulled in order to uh, look at it in light of our current financial crisis and. Uh, Glad to hear that we found some savings. Absolutely. Uh, good okay. afternoon, Commissioner. Uh, trustees, rather. So overall, I'll just give you the highlights of, of where we are. Working. I don't it's think not, your mic's working. Or just hold it up to your... Yeah, just speak from the diaphragm. Is that working? No? That's better. And so, so, yeah, I feel like yeah. I'm a, at a concert. Um, <laughs> overall, for this uh, contract, what we're looking at is this is a contract for 10 sheriff's deputies and one sergeant. So some of the highlights here are that... Um, uh, we have renegotiated and looked at this contract, so the 10 positions remain to be the 10 positions we've historically have. What's different now is we've historically had a sergeant who was, um, in essence, cost-shared with Children's Hospital Oakland. In this iteration of the contract, the sergeant is fully dedicated to our campus, which means they will be here full-time um, at least four, uh, four days a week, uh, working the 12-hour shifts, participating in sessions like this, um, other leadership executive meetings, as well as boots on the ground to provide you know, real-time support for any issues that may arise. So that's one difference. Uh, additionally, at, at, there will be no times where there will be any less than two deputies on shift for our current operation, which is consistent with what we've historically seen. The, um, the key differentiator here with the Sheriff's uh, Office and the Sheriff's Department is that they are the sworn law enforcement presence for our campus. So that includes arresting authority, uh, search and seizures, execution of civil and criminal warrants, um, and any other peace officer duties that are entailed within that. Uh, and they also are um, uh, carrying licensed firearms. So that's kind of the overall piece of what the, the, the footprint they inhabit. One key thing I do want to say, and, and I know we have members of the, of the Sheriff's Office present today, I do appreciate their uh, partnership in re-looking at the contract, looking at an opportunity to reduce indirect costs, and they reduced the, that cost uh, overall by about, by about 33%, or 20% rather, from what it was historically when it was on the original agenda item. Uh, additionally, pardon me? Could you say that again? Yeah, sure. So uh, they reduced, so originally there are indirect costs that are applied to the contract, and after going back with, uh, with the sheriff's team, they reduced that indirect cost by 20% uh, to come down to um, uh, something that's more manageable and also something you can see here within, before you today. What's the total difference? Uh, the total difference from between what it, well, in this sense, the cost avoidance with all these changes is translates to about $950,000 for the next three years. Okay. 
Uh, and uh, additionally, one last piece to lay out is that uh, in comparing this the contract with other similar health systems, uh, other level one trauma centers in, uh, that deliver this type of service uh, in the county health system or public health system, our rates and our contract is truly competitive and comparable. Any questions beyond in terms of scope or anything? I kind of I know we're we have a lot of conversation to be had as I kind of skimmed over that very quickly. Yes. Any any questions, sources? I recommend that Alameda County Sheriff's Office contract be approved. Second. <laughs> All those in favor? Aye. Aye. So make sure we heard you. Uh, item four: Red Cross. American Red Cross contract. This is a this is our our blood blood supplier, blood, blood products for all of our hospitals. This is a contract that's traditionally and historically been negotiated by the Hospital Council of Northern Northern and Central California, mm -hmm. and so the intent here is that we are looking at consolidating the purchasing power of all of the acute care facilities in this region, and they're able to negotiate on our behalf. This is a, a renewal of that contract and we're seeing some adjustments uh, you know, to that increases as a result of, again, the expense in, in blood products and what we're seeing across you know, the, the, the nation and in the industry as far as some of the shortages and things of that nature. One of the things that we're doing uh, organizationally is we're continuing to manage our blood utilization protocols and our lab and physicians are working very closely to make sure that we have uh, stringent processes in place to make sure that we're not over-utilizing and that we're not wasting blood products. And so uh, we feel very uh, comfortable with the negotiation that was done by the hospital council and we're in support of moving this forward for your consideration. I can't recall. What was the increase? Um, I, I, I remember this contract increasing, but what was the percentage or dollar amount increase? It was a uh, 4% uh, over 4%. the current contract and then 0% the second year and 2% the years two, uh, 3 and 4. Okay, great. Thank you. I'll move approval. Second. <laughs> All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. And uh, item five, the Lit Group LLC contract. So I, I can talk actually about uh, the next uh, three contracts uh, together. They have okay. some overlap. Mm -hmm. All three of the, all three of them are related to the uh, Sapphire project. Yes. Uh, the first uh, contract with Elliott Group is uh, for at the elbow support as well as credential trainer support, as well as some project management uh, support. Uh, we are doing large, uh, the majority of our um, at the elbow support with our internal staff, but we do need some augmented staff, uh, and uh, this is actually for the full amount. We're not anticipating to use all of this, but we've been somewhat dynamic with the uh, number of staff uh, that we had, so we wanted to give you the uh, uh, kind of worst-case uh, scenario for ourselves on this. We are budgeted for this as part of the overall uh, total cost of ownership that was in the EPIC uh, project when we put it forward, so we're in line with that. <coughs> The next two um, contracts are actually for um, additional project management support. Um, we actually brought through the superlative uh, contract last uh, board meeting, and we're bringing these two through as well. We've mentioned that, that one, we round robin between these three companies. So we're anticipating a total of $2 million of spend between the three companies, but we're not sure which ones of those companies the dollars will hit on. So we wanted to take, again, worst case scenario for all three um, of these uh, through to you. Okay. And this is part of our capital budget 
It is. Already been identified. All three of these are capital. They've all been anticipated as part of the EPIC okay. project. They're actually running slightly behind, uh, below, uh, not behind, below not uh, what we were anticipating yeah. for the budget. It's not a new expenditure. It's something we already planned Correct. last year. Correct. Correct. Within current budget. Partners. Yes. Okay. I move approval. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. And to be clear, we're talking about three items five through seven. Yes. Okay. We're Thank good. you. Thank you. Now let's go back. I appreciate those who are waiting for this next item. Uh, it's going to be a longer conversation. So um, we'll start with some public comment. I'd like to to say something uh, before we do that, though. Um, this is an incredibly difficult um, evening, I think, for the trustees. Uh, to start, the, the full board will have to make a final decision on a budget that uh, diminishes our capacity to serve our community. Um, and I uh, appreciate the, uh, the representatives from the county speaking to opportunities for collaboration uh, because it's really going to take uh, some incredible creativity and um, uh, hard work on, our, on everyone's part to really get at uh, improvements that will allow us to have a more sustainable uh, reality, whether it's the $28 million that we're losing in throughput just at Highland alone, um, or the reality of the impaction we're seeing at John George Pavilion. Uh, we need to really figure out um, less costly and more effective um, interventions uh, upstream before people end up in very um, acute conditions uh, within our system. So I take the challenge. This trustee takes the challenge. I'm, I'm sure my colleagues uh, support me in that, uh, that we want to figure out um, how to get to more sustainability in our budget so we can provide the necessary services to our community uh, at a time, quite frankly, uh, when there's this incredible amount of wealth being created in the Bay Area. There's also an incredible amount of pain. It's right outside our doors here, or it's inside this building right now. Uh, and we've got to, we're in the front lines of that, and we've got to figure out how to do this. The other point I would make, though, and this is maybe uh, where some of the rub uh, between partnerships happened. Uh, AHS, trustees in particular, the management, we have no ability to print money. We have no taxing authority. We have no way to raise money. Um, and therefore, we look around when we have a shortfall uh, for who might help us if, uh, if there's going to be a revenue solution. We cannot in our own right, figure out, uh, develop that revenue solution by raising taxes on wealthy people or something. That's just not something we have the authority to do. So uh, it's a natural inclination to do that. It's not meant to be disrespectful. It's uh, the county, for example, has an incredible set of challenges beyond uh, its relationship to uh, health care. Uh, growing homelessness, uh, growing demand for services across a, a, a county and seeing more and more uh, economic uh, displacement. Uh, and so they have an incredible challenge and we respect the fact that we are uh, a part of that. Uh, and 
There are many difficult choices uh, leadership there have to make. So with that said, I would like to go to public comment. Um, it's going to be three minutes. I'd really ask you to stay to three minutes. Uh, I'm sorry? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and our first speaker is Esther Karp. Members of the Finance Committee and others present here. My name is Esther Karp, and I've been at RN for 35 years, and I've worked at Alameda Hospital for the last 19, primarily in the emergency room. Um, I, I actually really like working at Alameda Hospital. I like working for AHS. I like taking care of my neighbors and the community, and I actually choose to work at a public sector safety net hospital. Um, as you've probably heard from other speeches um, from previous times and also some in-person meetings with some of the people, um, we are in contract negotiations uh, with AHS and CNA. I'm part of CNA. And um, I just wanted to let you know that um, they're still not going well and that um, the representatives are in, we find them to be very inflexible. Um, and some of the proposed changes are putting patient safety at risk. Um, in our hospital, morale is low. Many nurses have left, as some have retired early, and many are considering leaving. The nurses are working shorthanded with a lot of overtime to fill shifts, and many of the units are staffed, probably about a third to a half of travelers. So, I mean, if you're looking at fiscal responsibility, I mean, travelers are expensive, and we need to have better staff, more staffing, and it's also a patient safety issue. Um, and what's proposed is not just um, some tweaking of the contract, a wording, but it's actually a total gutting of our current contract. Every article in our contract has been tampered with and um, proposed, uh, changed by Alameda Health System. Um, I just want to note that it's interesting that our workplace pillar, our true north metric states that AHS strives to be the best place to learn and work, and that an engaged staff um, has shown improved patient outcomes. And I want you to remember that phrase because it comes up later. Um, it's our guiding principle. It should always be management's focus and not just when it's convenient. So um, it, there's examples, but anyway, in the interest of time, I also want to say that HS just needs to do better and they need to stop making unwarranted changes that disrupt the lives and working conditions of nurses and will ultimately put our patients at risk. I also want to notice um, a second point I want to make is that it was shocking for us to learn that AHS is considering closing Alameda Hospital as a full-service hospital. At least that's what we're reading between the lines. Um, and I just want to ask you all if you know that a stroke patient loses 1.9 million neurons. Those are brain cells for the non-medical people here. Every minute of a stroke. So if uh, Alameda City uh, community patients have to go off the island for a stroke, that it's going to be a minimum, and that's that's a stretch of 50 minutes, probably more because of the traffic, um, to go to the nearest stroke center. Um, so our patients and our, our residents of Alameda will have a very poor chance of that improved patient outcome if they even survive or they will have severe deficits. Um, so I want to uh, thank you for your time allowing me to speak, and I urge the trustees to be the champions of patients, staff, and their community, and um, to hold senior management accountable to the promises they made when they acquired Alameda Hospital, and also hold you accountable <coughs> for the resolution that you proposed last month um, to avoid reduction of any services or limiting services to your patients and community members. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Carol Barza. Sorry, I'm going to butcher names tonight. 
not personal. I don't think it personally. Good. <laughs> Tougher than that. <laughs> Must um, be a nurse. What's that? Must, Must be, be a nurse. nurse. Yeah. Um, so I'm Carol Barazzi. And um, I've been at San Leandro Hospital for 32 years. I work in the operating room. I've been a nurse longer than that. Um, cutting services and staff has led to substandard care and tremendous patient safety issues. We have heard that thousands of dollars in revenue has been lost because of inability to process charges correctly. Um, we're concerned about that. Um, these are ADOs that's at, uh, against uh, I'm sorry, assignment despite objection. These have three to 10 signatures on each one of them. And, um, these, and this is from the time of the layoffs that we had. These have accumulated since then for a lack of staffing. Um, I uh, frankly don't know how the nurses on the floor manage to come to work every day knowing what they're gonna face every single day and they come back every day and do it again. And I, I really, the conditions are not good. So cutting staff and services is not the answer. Um, I, would, I would ask the Board of Trustees to come to the emergency room, come to the hospital, have a look around. We've invited you before. Just come unannounced and see what you see. Um, there's no way that we can continue like this. You know, uh, just a few weeks ago, there was a patient at our place that committed suicide. I don't recall having a suicide in the 32 years that I've been there. Um, this was tragic for all of us. And I believe, we believe, that it was due to lack of oversight and to staffing capability. I'm a resident of Alameda County and we ask the board to please put the patients first. The information that you are getting, we do not feel is necessarily transparent, and we don't know that you're getting all the facts, really. Um, please don't tie one hand behind our back and expect us to have fantastic outcomes. We are nurses and we're good, but we're not wizards. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Linda Siracer. It Not wasn't even my handwriting. Struck. Struck. <laughs> Struck. Wow. That wasn't even close. <laughs> maybe I should read it for you. Yeah, maybe Joe will help me. <laughs> so, good evening. And uh, again, thank you for your time. I, I know uh, it's a long night for everybody. Um, I'm sure we've all been on Alameda. Getting off the island in traffic on a regular Friday or Saturday is difficult. So to echo what Esther is talking about, in an emergency situation, you know, when I went through my orientation, it was said, um, it's not if we have an emergent situation, it's not if we have um, an act of God, it's when. We're in an active earthquake area. We've had several earthquakes in the last five years since I've been there. Luckily, nothing shaking us um, to the point that we can't get off the island. But when we got the email um, that, you know, the, the portent for our, our future, and possibly having closed facilities, the people at Alameda Hospital are um, just shaking ourselves. And um, so we're appealing now to the board to be our champions for patients and the staff because we don't want this to be the time where we go down for failing the community that we're committed to and be responsible for the loss of life because of decisions that are going to be made now. And um, 
you know, we've talked about our True North metric. We've talked about our um, slogans. And, you know, my challenge is that this not be an ad campaign. We were all so excited when AHS came over, and we had a new commercial, and I think, um, I can't remember who narrated it, but it was a shot of the, the Brooklyn Boat Basin and how great it is to be served at Alameda Hospital. And so my challenge to, for us in this room is that that not be a slogan, that we really do follow through on these things, that these are people's lives. This is not about... Um, you know, uh, economics. It's We're not making cars at the hospital. We're saving people's lives. And that's what I don't want us to forget. And I want you to know what our union stands for. We have passed legislation across California that's a beacon for the country. We are problem solvers. We want to be in partnership here. We want to, um, you know, when we tell you what we need to advance our practice, it's coming from that place for clinical excellence and for saving lives, not for any, um, you know, to, to build a better mousetrap and so on. So I understand that the fiscal um, crisis against us is great, but we need to rise to the occasion. And you know that we are here. And I, I want you to know that as you do, Alameda will mobilize behind us. Our residents are committed to this hospital and have been historically. So please um, just work with us and don't, um, don't doubt the commitment that the community will have that this can get very ugly and people will be scared and they will look to see where the failings were. And, and I hope that we don't have a crisis while we're waiting to make the upgrades that are necessary to our hospital. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Leslie Tucker. Hi, everyone. My name is Leslie Huckler. I have been a nurse at Alameda Hospital for the past 37 years. The last three of those have been in the post-anesthesia care unit. During those 37 years, there have been a number of changes, challenges, and financial constraints. Um, and uh, up until now, I have felt that we have been supported. Um, I no longer feel that way. I'm disappointed in Alameda Health System's leadership. Alameda Health System allowed their chief negotiator to come into our contract negotiations with no sense of priorities and gut our union contract and other union contracts. Meanwhile, the CEO and the COO are making plans to cut services to patients in our community and close facilities. The resolution which was passed by this board on May 20th to threaten our job security and livelihoods is an illustration that the leadership here lacks experience in creating solutions and political know-how. All counties and districts are facing loss of subsidies and have extenuating circumstances which may result in some difficult decisions. But this health system is in the worst shape it has ever been in and compared to other health, compared to any other public health system. As union nurses who work alongside our union members, we are the frontline voice of our patients and a political power that, for example, gets legislation passed that improves standards for health care to our community. The point is, the Alameda Health System has demonstrated a lack of experience working with labor and working with communities in order to fix the problems that Alameda Health System has created with poor budget planning. Also, the disregard in moving forward with the seismic work to our Alameda Hospital building shows that you have no intention to maintain Alameda Hospital as a full service hospital. 
You have even said so publicly. Stop making terrible decisions and start working with labor and the community you are meant to serve. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Jane Bond. Good evening. Uh, my name is Jane Bond, and I currently work at Highland, the outpatient uh, behavioral health unit here. Okay, I'm very nervous. Okay. You're doing fine. Um, and our program has been identified as a program for closure or uh, consolidation with uh, the Fairmont program in San Leandro. And so I want to... But before I, I want to thank you all for listening to what we have to say, say today. And I know it's a very difficult place and position that you're in, uh, hearing just the impact, uh, what uh, these, the, the budget, and what that means, and how that trickled down to the the employees and to the existing programs. All, we know that all services are vital to the the overall uh, schema things when it comes to mental health and, and wellness. And consolidating uh, Highland outpatient psych services to San Leandro is an injustice to the community. Historically, we know uh, Oakland is in one of the, and actually Highland is positioned in one of the most impoverished, economically disadvantaged communities. And as, as we know, we walk outside the door and we see uh, homeless encampments and so forth, which is a sign that there are significant changes within our society concerning the need for services, mental health, food, shelter, clothing, which what I'm hearing in other areas, uh, other parts of the hospital, are the services that they're having to deal with and, and manage, which is overtaxing and burdening, burdening our system. But to move access to mental health services out of Oakland, where there is tremendous need, where the community has already been through uh, historically uh, racial redlining practices, uh, there's concentrated poverty, uh, poor health outcomes would be a disservice. The public health department, uh, there's, a, there's a study and looked at how race, place, and poverty matters when it comes to uh, health outcomes. And poverty, where people find themselves and live, uh, access, uh, exposure to toxins, all play into uh, health outcomes. And to move mental health services from Highland to San Leandro, would be an injustice. So I just really plead that we can keep those services uh, at Highland and provide the necessary access for the most vulnerable people uh, in our community. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Michael McAdoo. Michael McAdoo. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes. So I'm also with Outpatient Psych Services. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think my, my uh, program came to the front of the board and gave an excellent uh, presentation on how we do our services here in Oakland at Highland. Mm -hmm. Highland is a beacon of light for folks. Oh, 
Highland is a beacon of light of folks here in Oakland for mental health services. Uh, my esteemed colleague, Jane, uh, gave you some statistics about things that happened here in Oakland, the redlining. Uh, I'm here to speak about the consolidation of Oakland to San Leandro. And the patients that we've served, the most vulnerable patients we serve here, uh, this is their home. This is where they get services. This is where they come for help. This is where they come for community. This is where they come for everything they need in the city of Oakland. Um, <clears throat> what it kind of looks like is gentrification. We're taking folks who don't have a say, most vulnerable people in our community, and saying, hey, go on down to San Leandro. Your services over there. Um, <clears throat> not fair. We serve the most vulnerable population in Alameda County. Uh, we treat patients where there is no other place to go. This program eliminates, there's no other place where our patients can receive services. A lot of our folks are medi-medi. Nobody wants to service folks who are medi-medi. It doesn't pay. I just hope that we and the county can continue our partnership with funding. Funding is what helps us grow. Um, without funding, we're losing jobs, we're losing services, and for the most vulnerable people and patients in our community. I'm going to yield my time to um, those others. Thank you. You get extra points for yielding time. Bad joke. Uh, Derek. Uh, good evening. I'd like to thank this Board of Trustees for giving me the opportunity to speak to you today. My name is Derek Boutet. I'm an Executive Board Officer for SEIU 1021. Um, we're here. Uh, let me see where can I actually start at. Um, being disappointed. Each and every employee here right now that are in support of having received layoff letters that we believe that is unacceptable totally to the work and the dedication that employees are giving to this community and to this hospital. Um, I'm asking each and every one of you to actually have the opportunity to walk through John George, through the B Ward Wing, see all the patients that are sitting outside the rooms, how it's overcrowded, there's no air conditioning up in there, the impact of workers still providing health care services on a consistent basis to each and every patient that walks through the doors of Alameda Health System. Um, I think that it's unacceptable, it's totally unacceptable that we would be giving out letters to employees that are working and dedicated to this hospital and to this community on an everyday basis. Um, just recently, probably about a little bit over two years ago, maybe, Tony Redman, you were a part of the negotiations process that was done with SEIU 1021, and there was a commitment and agreement to be done that any layoffs or anything that impacted patient care, that we would all come together through our patient care committee and find a solution that would eliminate an issue that becomes about like that. Um, layoff letters were given. There was no meetings with patient care committee. There was no discussions. 
And um, like I said, it's totally unacceptable. It's actually a violation to the contract. And I think that it needs to be reconsidered. It needs to be ceased and desist immediately. And we need to be able to go through the fundamental steps that the contract has allowed us to be able to utilize. Um, we're here on behalf of every employee that is actually on the floors right now who actually can't be here right now because they're doing healthcare service providing. Um, so each one of these employees that are here right now are dedicating their personal time to actually come in here and let you know that this is a major impact on our communities, on patient care, and we need to be able to work together a lot more better and figure out solutions that's going to provide health care to this community on a consistent basis. I've been working here at Alameda Health System for probably about 18 years, and I believe in this hospital. I actually really believe in it. Um, I support the decisions that need to be made that are correct to allow us to be able to have the staff that we need to have up in here to provide the consistent services that are needed. Right now, we are working under staff in here in every department, and that are things that are need to be looked at. Um, I appreciate all of the work that you are doing, Mr. Devecki, but I think that we all need to come together and find solutions that help the issue, not hinder the issue, because we're all here for patient care. We're all here to do the right things that to provide patient care to our community. So we're asking that these letters, like I said before, be cyst and deceased, go through the proper protocols with our MOU that is agreed on with this hospital and the leadership that is in this hospital and the leadership that has been given by SEIU 1021. And we're asking that we work together a lot more better than what we have been doing for, I say, since these layoff letters have been given. And talk to employees. Go on the floors, hear what they have to say about the challenges that they're going through every day, trying to make sure that health care services are provided here. And I heard when they say just a second ago that she couldn't remember what the slogan was. Yeah, it's the provider of choice. That's our slogan. And we want to keep that being exactly what we do for this community. And if we're giving out layoff letters to our members, our employees that are here, we're not doing that. We're giving up on each other. And I think that we need to recognize that. And we're asking that this Board of Trustees take a good look at this situation and realize the impact that it's going to be making. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Derek. Let's, let's wait for your timer. Okay, we can probably do it now. Okay, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. My name is Mary Codlin, and I work in the patient accounting department over at Fairmont Campus. Um, I work in the denial management department, so my job is to appeal the facility denials that we get for Highland, John George, all of the, all of the inpatient claims that get denied. Um, so from my perspective, <laughs> um, I'm sure everybody has heard the term um, that we need to work smarter. We don't need to, we, none of us need to work any harder than we're already working. Um, we need, but there's a real, I think, systemic issues with the, the services that are provided. Are, they're not always, we don't even always ask for authorization on things. Um, we get the wrong level of care authorized. We don't, um, 
and then they don't follow up on it to change the authorization while the patient's still in. Um, they, a lot of times they wait until the patient's already been discharged, send medical records, and it's at that point it's really it's a Hail Mary at that point. Um, whether we're going to get paid or not, it's a 50-50 chance that we're going to get paid. Um, I have a lot of experience with the John George denials. Um, and one of the things that I think is could be a part of the problem is um, that the utilization management staff that they have on site is only there Monday through Friday, 8, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. There's And it's a 24-7 facility so to my way of thinking what if they had somebody that was working, maybe somebody working nights and weekends up there so that they, at least you could call and get the insurance notified that the patient's there because a lot of times the insurance will say you didn't do it within 24 hours we have it's actually built into the contract that if you don't notify the insurance within a certain number of hours or days they're not even gonna, they won't even do a retroactive authorization. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd, I'd be open to like sitting down with anybody and giving them some more ideas because I'm uh, almost out of time. So um, anyway, I, I think we can, we just have, we just need to uh, really do something radical and um, you know, like think of ways to make, to really capture more of the money that we're due so that we can keep the lights on and keep serving the patients. Because that's what we're all here for, ultimately. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. And I imagine staff will want to follow up with Mary on this. Can you say something? Um, Here's one of our No. You're on here somewhere? Are you in here? Yeah, just get your name to be, you have a speaker card. Should you stop on the list? Yeah. To be honest with you, but I just want to say something because I'm one of the worker who. Go, go to the mic, please, yeah. Yeah, um, my name is Jeffrey. Uh, the reason why I want to talk really quick is because I'm one of the, uh, actually, I'm one of the worker who got the layoff notice. And actually, um, I've been working in um, Alameda Health System for uh, since um, 2014. Actually, I'm, I'm, I came from Park Bridge, that's under Alameda Health System as well. And uh, I've been working there since 2009, and then I think 2014 when the Alameda Health System take, 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 uh, take over that uh, or got that uh, facility. And I was just actually hired here recently, uh, last March. And we've been working there so hard on on uh, on that uh, facility. I've been there f since 2009, and uh, I've been I've, I've seen a lot. We actually got five star on that facility, and we've been working so hard with our patients and with our residents. And then when the opportunity came to apply here, we grabbed the opportunity with some of my coworkers there, because. Everyone wants a better opportunity, right, in life. So when we saw the opportunity, we grabbed it. And then we actually started March 25. And then recently, a week ago, we received the letter. And they said they eliminate, they want to eliminate the, the position, our position. And I felt devastated because I never ex 
expect these things to happen because I've been giving my 100% to help my patients and my residents. And imagine that if, if you're giving your best to your patients and all of a sudden they just send you a letter for you don't know what's the reason and they just dump you like that, it, 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 feels, it feels sad, it feels discouragement actually. And right now I'm still working. I'm trying, to be honest with you, I'm just trying to drag my, my, my foot to go here to work because, because of that layoff notice. And I felt sorry as well to my, to my co-workers here. So what I'm asking you right now, sir, is can you just please reconsider us? Can you just please reconsider us? We love this job, even though we're just a certified nursing assistant, but still, we're working so hard to help our patients and to be a good contribution to our community. Thank you. Thank you. Maria Duran. Yes, it's me. Okay, actually, if you want to speak, you need to fill out a card. It's Maria Duran. Oh, you're Maria Duran. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My apologies. Actually, I, want, I am the one I'm trained most of the new CNAs, ninth floor, morning shift. They were so happy to be working. He is the second job I trained him. I was working in St. Rose. I trained him. I came here. I trained him. He was so happy to see me. I was so happy to see him. I know he's a good worker. <laughs> then I feel so sad for all of them. They have the letters. I, I trained them. And I know they are very good workers. And they are doing very good job. And they are changing the way in the afternoon, PM. Chiefs are, all the nurses are happy with all of them. And how most of them have the letter. So they ask me, why? And they tell me need to help. I'm a CNA. I say, I want to help you. <laughs> this is the only way I can help them to come here to tell you to think about. Because they need a job. And it's not fair when they apply. They told them, you have to leave your old job to focus only in this one. And they did. They quit. And after that, they give the letter to them. So it's not fair for me and for them because I have the experience in my another job. I was laid off for one year. Is when I found this job. So after four years, I was working two jobs because I was on call up there and I was on call here. When they gave me the position part-time here, I left that one. I have that bad experience too. I know how it feels. I have my vacations and other guys, when they told me, it was no good vacations. They were not, not good vacations at all because I have the news there and I have to come in here and see I don't have any jets. Please, if you can help them. Might be affecting me too, but they are young, they started, and I feel so, so sad for them. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, last name is McCray. McCray is the last name. Can't quite figure out the first name. Mick, it begins with an M. Mick, 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 Micah Fine? I don't know. I can't read it. 
Did someone fill out a card other than spoken? Yeah. Yeah, so I might have some of that. Okay. And that was it. Thank you. Okay, what? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm Dailene Niegos. Uh, I'm a same A, and um, I was also working in Park Ridge before I came here. The thing is, like, it makes me really sad because I'm a single mom. Before I came here, I asked when they do interview with me. I'm I'm um, full time seeing it in Park Ridge. And before I start interview, I asked my my uh, supervisor if they have benefits in this job that I'm gonna give it to me. And she said yes. That's why I came here and applied because you know this is another opportunity for me. But if I'm gonna lose this job, I don't know what to do. I'm a single mom with two college now. I'm a sing and I don't have family here. It's me only with my two kids. So right now I'm really scared because I'm gonna be homeless also. So please can you help us to stay this job? I really need this job, really. Thank you. Thank you. Joe, did you want to say something? Well, I just um I can't find the words myself. So. Yeah, I've, I've, I've gotten a layoff notice during the financial crisis when I worked for the city. We all got them. And we ended up losing a lot of our workforce. And we're, we're in this together. And I'm, I'm a volunteer here, so I'm, my job is not on the line. I understand that. But I know how it feels. I was a single father at the time. I had to move into a smaller, uh, from my house to an apartment. And it would be irresponsible for our CEO not to tell you the situation and how bad it is. It would be irresponsible not to put everyone on notice that we have our backs against the wall. And so we're being painfully obvious, uh, honest. And um, we, we, we don't want to make painful cuts that will both affect your life and the care. I, I just, just hear me, this is for everyone. And I, I, I really, I, I respect our CEO in being honest with, this, with the employees and, and explaining that we're facing very difficult times. And we want your message to be heard widely, not just in this room, but in other rooms that can actually help us make a difference. Um, and, and I'll say it the same as I said it in, the, in, the, um, in the, the editorial that was published yesterday. We've had a great partnership with the county. They've been dedicated to health and, and to health care. Um, through bond measures, through tax measures, um, but we need more. We're in a position right now, this is a rainy day. So when they talk about rainy day funds, this is a rainy day. This is an emergency. This is a crisis. And we all need to do something differently to, to, to get ourselves out of it. And so I, I, I truly respect the investment you've made of your lives in the system. And we hope, we really pray that you'll be able to continue to do that. And we, we are willing to take any action to, pr to protect that. But we, we have to be honest about this, the situation that we're in right now. Okay. Thank you, Trustee. DeVries, um, let's go on to the staff report on uh, FYI 2020 budget. I will. Uh, I'll drive for you here. Was that? Uh, yeah. Can you please? Um, I'll, I'll I'll get us started, and then um, um, 
as we tend to do with this um, uh, project uh, process, we will tag team. So, uh, uh, Anne, I almost call you Nancy. Uh, Anne will present. Um, um, uh, I'll, I'll start with the long-range financial plan just to sort of set context for the total picture, the, both the operating budget and the uh, capital uh, and long-range uh, financial plan. And then uh, have Anne talk to you about the uh, EBITDA goal and how we uh, uh, designed a budget to achieve that target uh, with its, uh, all of its uh, uh, details uh, in terms of um, um, opportunities on the revenue side that we have identified in partnership with our staff and leaders uh, and opportunities on the expense reduction side, uh, which are, uh, uh, as you might imagine, uh, range from so low-hanging low fruit to some really complicated and uh, challenging and undesirable things. And then finally, program evaluation uh, representing uh, Ishwari will actually speak to these, uh, 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 some of the uh, efforts that when we did everything we could on these other two sides, uh, what we were left with as a matter of an, an artifact of time. Uh, uh, I will point out before she uh, speaks to that point that uh, those those program evaluation efforts, the, the larger uh, programmatic cuts, and I would say even some of the uh, programmatic uh, consolidations or uh, uh, adjustments that are included in the expense mitigation or reduction side are are tough things for us as an uh, organization to to contemplate and to advance, uh, um, but they're all in recognition, as I appreciate Trustee DeVries for saying, um, we are in a very challenging economic time. Uh, revenue, as you know, principally supplemental revenues, but not just that, are, are at risk and, and, and serious risk. And this year, we actually lost supplemental funds, too. Uh, uh, this year, we were able to largely stave those off. And we, uh, for, I, I think, uh, really laudable uh, uh, thing on the part of the staff, really, and the leaders in this organization, um, kept, or so far, have kept expense increases year over year to just about 1%. That's not even the cost of inflation, and 60 or about 60% of our budget is labor, where we know we have contractual obligations that go up at least two to three, if not more, uh, percents a year. So people have really shouldered the obligation, and I want to commend them for that. You've heard them say it. Uh, we have tried to see how much of that we can continue to shoulder uh, with them without doing some overwhelming uh, compromises notwithstanding the ones that we're already doing with quality and with safety for our patients and for our staff. And so uh, you'll hear that as a matter of an artifact of time, we've fallen on if we have to produce a budget that is a budget that uh, pretends for us being responsible as an overarching organization and recognizing that uh, we continue to have debt obligations, some for pension, some for uh, um, uh, loans or lines of credit with the county and other reasons, as well as investments that uh, we have uh, attempted to responsibly make in the organization in a way of uh, uh, addressing some of our challenges with an electronic health record platform to make our lives and the work uh, easier for the, um, the clinicians who practice their work, as well as the IT and revenue cycle people who are trying to make the best of some very fragmented systems that do still have opportunity. We've been very honest about that. Uh, uh, and I, don't, I, I, I will say for the sake of just public consumption, again, that uh, AHS has never uh, uh, intended to suggest that we don't have those opportunities uh, and that people aren't trying to uh, um, address them. And I would say the results bear that out. Year over year, we've had significant improvements in pro professional fee uh, revenue improvement as well as facility. And that, again, is thanks in 
in large part to the work of our professionals here in the organization. Uh, but we don't operate at peak performance, and that's because of some of the burdens and challenges of the community we serve, which we gladly do, uh, and that confounds our ability to do uh, address things that are beyond our control, but also because of the fragmentation in our system uh, that we, we, we sometimes take on because we're trying to be fiscally prudent and fiscally minded, but it comes with the trade-off of some, inefic some inefficiencies that we end up absorbing and quite honestly get, get blamed for when they operate in just a manner that one might be able to predict. So we've, we, we have forecast and uh, uh, put before you a budget that continues to uh, quite honestly do some of those things. We wish to not do some of those things, as, I, uh, as you know, back in March. Uh, when we laid out the budget that said, here's the volume that we're forecasting, the budget is a tool, so we know that it's, it's not a, um, an exact science, but based off the volume we forecast, the revenue we can expect to receive and the expenses that we can expect to incur, we're about a $100 million forecasted shortfall. We, again, through the work of a lot of folks in and outside of this room, uh, through our first round of budgeting, dropped that number down to about $64 million. Uh, that's a significant improvement. But we knew that it wasn't enough. At that time, we said to you and to our partners in the county, who I'll underscore again, Trustee DeVries' message, uh, we've never intended to malign. We've never intended to place uh, anything squarely on their shoulders. But as a good partner to say, things are tougher than they have always been, but they're even tougher now. And so what you've done has always been necessary. It's increasingly insufficient. And that's not your fault or our fault, but it is ours to bear collectively. And so we'd love to figure out how we can partner to do this, to really honor what is our commitment to producing a, or to uh, sustaining a uh, robust and comprehensive healthcare delivery system that promotes health equity for all of our community, uh, but recognizing that to varying degrees, other people don't necessarily share that commitment, at least in terms of the uh, financial uh, resources that they will provide to us to make that happen. So uh, the budget, we'll, we'll go on to share with you then what that roll-up looks like from an income statement, which then uh, shares with you where Luis will come in at three and say, well, what do the volumes now look like when we make the adjustments that Anne has just shared with you and that Ishwari has just shared with you? And then I'll come back and uh, talk to you about the capital budget and long-range plan as it's contemplated in the budget. We're happy to entertain any questions you may have about uh, any of this, and we're sure there will be plenty, and uh, we'll do the best we can. Uh, but the last thing I'll say before we uh, um, advance into the presentation is, as I said, uh, we are, we're, we're here as an artifact of trying to operate a, uh, a fiscally responsible organization, but not exclusively to that point, and not even primarily to that point, uh, but in recognition of that point. Uh, uh, and that you know we, we are doing that in the best way we can on our own, and this is what this budget reflects. Uh, we don't believe, and we certainly don't uh, uh, want, and we believe that you don't want to advance these cuts that are in this budget, that you understand that these services are very vital to the community. And we've designed the budget in such a way that you advancing this budget to the board, and if this budget does get approved by the board, does not pretend for these cuts to happen immediately. Uh, there are some that they do, in fact, happen immediately, but many of them, as you'll see, are, are designed to happen in January of uh, this fiscal year, so the first of the uh, next calendar year, if we can't find an alternative solution during that time. I can speak on behalf of the staff that I've spoken to and the leaders I've spoken to that we remain committed to doing our part to close that gap even further and to try to do it as safely and as in as high quality a manner as possible on our end. 
but I do believe and I hope uh, that we'll be able to find uh, some support, some additional support. I don't want to uh, um, not or, or underscore that even more. Additional support that we will need to make sure that we can do these things in a manner that I believe uh, would make everyone proud of the, the system that we have and the system we're maintaining here. So with that, uh, we'll go into the budget uh, and then share with you where we are now as of the budget we have to produce to be able to have this conversation. And we'll also say that at the end of this, um, we continue to do work uh, even between now and when it goes to the board. And there will be some adjustments here, some in allocation of numbers as we continue the effort of finalizing this. Uh, but also, uh, um, and I can tell you just this week, not enough to change this materially at this point, but we found some additional savings that uh, we can, or even revenue opportunity that we can apply here, but we didn't want to change this for the sake of what you have been able to review, because this is quite complicated material, uh, but we will be continuing to refine this, and I want you to really know that, um, and everyone else here uh, to really know that we are wholly committed to doing everything in our power to preserve care and services and jobs for the men and women who work here, who have committed their lives um, uh, to serving this community and serving this organization. So with that, we'll, we'll hop in. Um, I really want to, uh, we, this is our kind of long range plan that uh, looks a few years back and then looks a few years uh, forward. So we shift this on an annual basis. We really square our attention to the middle uh, and that is projected for 19 and forecasted for 20. These numbers are uh, updated, the projected numbers and then forecast uh, uh, based off of the budget that you'll see in greater detail as we move forward. Um, a few caveats I want to mention. So with the projected, I'll only say that what you'll see is that, uh, as we have said and as you heard in uh, the last um, um, April year-end or month-end report, we're still forecasting our ability to hit our target for this year. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, thanks in large part to a combination of additional revenue that we've accrued uh, in terms of outperforming, uh, outperforming on some paper performance programs as well as uh, significant expense savings that we've uh, achieved for the organization. On the forecasted for 20, you'll see uh, a big glaring thing that probably jumps out to you. The board asked the organization to come forward with a budget that was at least a 1.47% EBITDA margin. You'll see that what's forecasted there in the middle, the 3%, is actually about twice that amount. Uh, that is an artificial construct in which when we get into the detail on the expense savings piece, you'll see a, um, a, um, uh, a savings of about $15 million that the way that we've reflected it now uh, is a optimistic look at a favorable resolution to a pending legal matter that we have uh, around pension. Uh, that uh, in the interest or uh, as an artifact of time, the best way that we could reflect it was a reduction in expense. Uh, we don't think that's accurate. We are not uh, in any way intending to suggest that we don't want, we don't have an obligation to continue to maintain uh, and make those payments. In fact, that's probably one of the changes you'll see when we bring this forward. But right now, that is the reason why that number uh, looks like it's a $30 million post uh, 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 gain and not a $15 million gain, which would get us to the 1.47. That 1.47, though, uh, does include the programmatic cuts that you'll see here, and we'll go into detail uh, for that as well. Okay, uh, with that, we'll move on to the next page. Um, so uh, I'll take you back to the last time we talked. Uh, we had moved down from, I said, 100 million plus to about 64 million, and then we'll break you into categories that we'll go into greater detail with on, in the subsequent slides. The first column uh, after the budget 2020, the last time we were here, 
um, um, is the total revenue enhancements. And what you see is about a uh, expected pickup of about $19 million uh, in total revenue enhancement, a big part of it falling into one category that Ann mentioned below, but the other is in uh, areas that she'll outline that we're, we're tightening our uh, are, are, are uh, sharpening our pencils, I should say, and working with our clinical leaders to figure out where there's some opportunity for us to pick up additional revenue for the services we provide, as well as forecasting an ability to collect more revenue from the services we provide after we go live on Sapphire as an integrated system. Uh, total expense reductions, total 46%, and I mentioned there's uh, 46 million, there's about 15 million in there that uh, uh, we'll explain is, is artificial and not reliable at this point, but we wanna point out that we are optimistic and hopeful that we'll be able to figure that out as well. When you put those together, we ended up with an EBITDA uh, uh, margin of about 1.2, so just shy of the 1.47. Uh, target that uh, the board established for us. Uh, again, if we uh, don't rely on that 15 million, that number then becomes uh, significantly less and it goes up to about somewhere around uh, 18 to 20 million dollars. Uh, because of that, we looked at uh, the programmatic uh, cuts that we have um, uh, placed out for you, and we'll talk about those uh, when Ishwara gets here, uh, that the same people who uh, were had to do the work to pr uh, pretend what the cuts would mean for us after, after we both took out the expenses and the revenues were the same people actively working with the leaders of those areas to actually look at more... Um, I want to say productive ways of closing those gaps in terms of looking at how can we get additional revenue, how can we increase volume uh, so that we can close those gaps. And at the end of the day, we just ran out of time, that the things that we were working on to close those gaps weren't enough to completely close them so that in order to, again, produce a budget that achieved the target that we were set uh, or expected to achieve, uh, we could not just say that we would close those and we would get there or try to uh, do those things and get there. Point in fact, we will continue to try to do many of those things as a part of the work that we uh, are encouraging our leaders to focus on, and that may pretend for a different solution when we get down the road uh, of not necessarily having to move forward with these cuts, uh, but we do still think that we need some help. So that's why we put it here, and we thought that was the uh, best way to reflect it for you today. Okay? We'll move on to the next slide. And now I'll turn it over to Ann to start walking us through detail, and we'll tag team on this part. Thank you. So um, I'm going to speak about the um, revenue enhancements. So you'll notice the um, total revenue from all sources. We started, um, the first column is, you know, where we left, last left it. And then each column subsequent um, gives you the detail of what is related to the adjustment. So the first one is the ED um, visit volume. So we have reduced our um, volume down and related to reducing the volume more in line with our um, current trend for the current year, FY19, um, it reduced um, the net revenue by 3.4 million. So aligning with the reduction in number of visits. Um, San Leandro, we have been, um, been a team working on bringing that facility under the AHS core license. And so we are anticipating um, that work to be completed and become effective January 1st. And that will um, add approximately an additional $2.8 million in supplemental reimbursements as we're able to include their cost and volumes on our reporting. Um, the Urgent Care Center, that is one of our um, 
um, initiatives to try to reduce the number of um, patients leaving the ER without being seen. And so we are going to be converting um, our same day clinic into an urgent care system. So a, a modest increase in net revenue there of um, 0.2. The EPIC um, charge, so we're going live in EPIC the end of September. And one of the modeling um, that we reviewed from the EPIC team was that there's an anticipation that our overall charge capture will be improved. And so they anticipate that that will become visible to us about six months after go live. So let's just round that to be um, October 1st. So that would be the end of March, would be six months. And so um, we just took the last quarter and we think that would be about $2.7 um, million net. Now in, um, this isn't in the slides, but in the future years, that number is, you know, gets bigger. It gets bigger for a couple years and then it will, will flatten out as we kind of do the enhancements and, you know, get everybody on board. If I could stop you there, I, I had a question about this because my understanding of EHR systems is that you experienced some productivity drop off. Correct. Uh, when you ran right. to go live. Mm -hmm. So is that already baked into our so assumptions? That's, that's it's already baked in the first version of the budget. Right. Right. We've already baked in that the first couple of months we will have uh, some dips in productivity and then uh, we expect that to ramp back up. What we hadn't put in is that once we finish that sort of go live and stabilization in the post-stabilization phase, the expectation that, as you know, again, speaking to the fragmentation in our system, we have parts of our system that aren't even on a, a, a electronic record now. We have some that are on different records that the charges don't all flow through. Uh, so we have manual labor to duplicate charges or uh, double entry of charges, but things get lost in the fray. And the interfaces even between systems where they talk directly, we lose things. And so the expectation is that now we'll be able to see those things better. We'll have better uh, uh, business intelligence that will call out when you have a patient here with a certain uh, diagnosis, what charges should be there. So you have more things happening upstream to collect those charges to actually what one of the speakers was referring to. So the expectation right. that that first part was already in. This is us now going back and saying, now that we've made this investment and we expect this change in our processes, what more revenue can we expect on top of what we already and Would get? you describe this as conservative? Uh, yeah, I, would I would describe it as middle of the road. It is conservative. Epic gave us sort of three lines and they said, you know, organizations who go live on Epic historically have a, a, a kind of a low and modest improvement, a moderate improvement, and a high improvement. Uh, we chose conservatively the low improvement just because it's an artifact of us getting used to the system as well as our processes as we're working across an integrated system. So we are hopeful that it will be better, uh, but we are, we're responsibly saying that we don't know how much there is there until we start to see it. So thank yeah. you. And tagging on to that, one of the major um, system changes is that we are um, pushing the charge capture reconciliation process out of the revenue integrity group and down to the department manager so that if you're in surgery, the, the surgery department is going to be responsible for their daily revenue. This is who we saw, this is what we did, is that what we see the next day in charges. So that, that val validation is as close to the source as we can get it. And we feel that that will help <coughs> us capture that missing charge piece. Um, so then um, the biggest item on this um, increase in revenue 
is the 16 million for the AB 85 realignment. So I kind of touched on that earlier. So we are anticipating um, in FY 2020 that we will receive about $41 million in realignment numbers. So um, I had the director of um, reimbursement, Shalin Lin, run some um, analysis. And so because we have increased costs related to EPIC, that's going to increase our cost basis. And so our conservative estimate is that we would be able to retain about 16 million of those dollars. So then we'll return the difference you know, back to the county who will then return it back up to the state to be redistributed. And that, and that reconciliation, course. as she was mentioning earlier, happens two years hence. So. Yeah, so two years down. Yeah. But we feel that we could recognize $16 million in but the current year. we could work the $16 million. Based yes. on our preliminary right. analysis. Right. Yeah. Where, as she said before, right. in the prior years, we don't book any of it. We basically right. reserve it right away because we're pretty confident, as has borne out, we're going to have to give it all back. Do you have a general ledger uh, explanation? That, right. Uh, Correct. Match so, an audit. You know. So I was just going to say I met with the audit um, partner today, mm -hmm. and so, you know, he we were talking about this verify. particular issue, and he's like, "Well, we'd like to see that analysis and verify it out." So, they're going to be doing that work earlier during the audit. So, if something doesn't um, bear out, I would be a little surprised by that. Um, but if it doesn't bear out, then we still have time to make an adjustment before we actually book it in next year. Okay. Hopefully, okay. hopefully that sticks. Yeah, I'm, I'm voting for sticking. <laughs> so then the, um, the average um, wage index, we, um, there's some new regulations around that. And so I can speak to it a little bit. You want to do that? Yeah, so this is actually something we found out during the budget process because it happened during the budget process. CMS, uh, Center for Medicaid and Medicaid Services, has for a long time, for years, uh, uh, one of the bases on which Medicare rates, payment rates are set is the uh, the wages of the different, the differing wages of different parts of the country. So uh, they use an average wage index to say uh, if your wages uh, in terms of healthcare services are higher than this index and your reimbursement is adjusted accordingly. Uh, the low rate wage um, uh, parts of the country have long contended that they are disproportionately disadvantaged by this. And so CMS recently put out a proposed uh, rulemaking change that said that they were going to uh, adjust this to help the low-wage, largely rural or mostly rural parts of the country to increase the average wage index for those plates, which is a good thing. The bad part is they decided to do it on the backs of the higher-wage parts of the country, of which California is yeah. a significant one, obviously. And so this doesn't just impact AHS. It impacts um, uh, the entirety of the state. It impacts states like New York and other high-wage states. Uh, and so the, expecta the expected impact to AHS that we've heard from the California Hospital Association is if this goes through and they drop the basis of reimbursement for Medicare uh, for um, uh, uh, states like California, then AHS just can anticipate an annual impact of about $1.1 million. So this is us saying, um, if this happens, uh, and this is net patient services, it's not supplemental, it'll be the basis on which we get net patient services, um, that we are forecasting that if this comes to pass, not by virtue of doing anything else, but providing the same services we do, we'll get paid less for. All right. So. Hopefully it won't happen, just like hopefully the dish cuts won't happen. Um, uh, but if they don't happen, then we're in a better position. The dish cuts will be a little bit different because with the dish cuts, uh, if they are restored, uh, some of that AB85 supplemental that you see us saying we can retain, it'll be supplanted by the dish dollars. Yeah. 
And so, then we so would only have about impact. three million. Correct. Right. For that, and, and then I'd also um, like to mention that on the um, the average rage index, we have um, over the last twelve months utilized a service of um, a consultant. Um, through Moss Adams, our audit firm, but it's their consulting branch. And so they have been going back and looking at our calculation for the rage index and helping us um, collect all the dollars possible that we can. And so usually you do that work, you file an amended return, and then it takes you know a couple of years for it to process through. And um, so there is that possibility we'll get money back. How far and, back are we going? Um, so I think it's maybe about two years mm -hmm. back. I can look at, give you the definite dates. It's probably one of those practices that we we've done left it on and off. On the table. Yeah, done it on and off over the years because it's this. Um, as you deal with a lot of numbers, it's good to have an outside person just come back and say, "Oh, did you know you could also now include this?" Oh, I see. We just updated every so often. Yeah, it's just looking at it and making sure that you're maximizing your reimbursement for that particular area. And so hopefully with that work already in process, that might help us on this other issue as they realign tables and they end up a little higher. Okay, and then the, um, the last column that's labeled, uh, or second to last, the R2 revenues. Um, there, that is a composition of um, these four items. So um, it's an increase, the primary care group um, came back and felt that they could increase volumes and that would result in a 3% increase um, resulting in a million dollar net patient revenue, an increase in clinic visits and endoscopy cases for 300. Um, we are replacing a neurology um, contract with an employed physician and so um, the change of the contractor to the employed um, in, so we're paying the same amount of money between the contract and the employee. I'm straighten this out a little bit. But under the current arrangement, the contractor does his own billing. So he collects the net revenue in addition to what we pay him. Under this model, when it's an employed physician, we'll be able to collect that revenue. So we end up coming out ahead. And then we um, identified a Cal MedForce grant that is new to us this year, so we didn't have it in our run rate for grants, and that's about another 225 for the residency program. So I'm going to, unless you have questions on this, any questions? Just take a deep breath here. Thank no you. Did a good job. Take okay. So I'm going to switch it over to um, Luis. Can I, I'll say one last thing, actually. That's probably too many to say now. Um, in addition to the work that's uh, been identified here, we are, and I've, I've been mentioning this to uh, Trustee Shigwin, but we are going to, over the course of next year, and I've started conversations, be uh, potentially engaging the, uh, uh, the, uh, the services of uh, other revenue uh, um, uh, consultants who might uh, further help us to identify enhancement opportunities beyond the ones that we have here. Uh, we have started those conversations, but they haven't gotten to the point where we can quantify it in any way uh, if there's any there uh, there. So I just wanted to point that out. Looking for a Trustee Bouquet. Who's here. <laughs> Great, that, that's good to hear. Sure. So moving forward, moving along with uh, the, the adjustments of how everything came together, we've talked about the revenues and what accounts for that $19 million increase. Now we're going to focus on breaking down what 
comprises the $46 million reduction in expenses. So this is the category and the breakdown that breaks that. So we started off with an operating expense budget uh, after the first round of, of reviews of about a billion eighty-one. We were able to find in round two an additional $26 million in, in efficiencies across the entire system, across the organization. And I'll break that down and give you a high-level sense of what that uh, comprises. Uh, then, as Delvecchio mentioned, there is that uh, placeholder uh, for, for those dollars that, uh, that uh, could potentially materialize. And so we're looking at that. And as, as Delvecchio mentioned, that may be reflected differently or we'll have to revisit how that works out. Uh, certainly uh, speculative, to say the least, at this point. Uh, system expense reduction of $4.5 million. That is relative or related to some of the adjustments we made as we presented in previous uh, slides and previous presentations related to wage freezes, uh, benefits restructure, and uh, paid time off uh, uh, allocations. And so I'll break that down a little bit further. And that total to about $46 million, looking at total labor and non-labor, including benefits. 4.6. 4.6. The total. I'm sorry. Yes. Go ahead. Right. Forty-six million. Everything comes together. Go ahead. So uh, to further dissect and break this down, uh, this is what that uh, looking at the expense reduction by financial class. So we're looking at labor expense uh, reduction uh, of uh, 13 million uh, with materials, med surgical supplies, uh, adjustments in other expenses, and largely purchase services as we reviewed and revisited many of our contracts and we're continuing to revisit some of our contracts. In fact, uh, through that work and uh, Baljeet and his team have been doing a phenomenal job revisiting all of our large ticket items, all of our large contracts, revisiting them and reviewing how we could continue to draw in efficiencies and working with Vizient, our GPO, uh, has really paid dividends. Not only did they meet their savings target last year, but we've also uh, continued to see great improvement in tier optimization and how we're managing some of our uh, uh, current uh, expense categories, looking at um, making sure that we uh, standardize some of our, our purchasing practices and that's resulting in some you know, value analysis and then it results in, in, in additional savings. And then repairs and maintenance, well, we had a small reduction. So again, total of about $22.6 million. Uh, so again, this is where we, we get into the uh, a little bit of a breakdown of what that means. And so when we talked about the $4.6 million, I wanted to just be, be very clear that when we talked about wage freezes, and I know that the, in, in some of our previous discussions, there was a lot of, of consideration around how and who and you know what would be impacted as a result of the wage freezes. Well, what's been included in this presentation here is a wage increase for only the executive team, no one else. The wage freeze. Wage. The wage freeze. What did I say? <laughs> yeah, the other one. You said increase. <laughs> 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 Please correct that record. <laughs> okay. Uh, as I, as, as I said, we had talked about evaluating a wage freeze for everyone that was unrepresented. We've revisited that and we've decided that at this point we're going to look at uh, uh, exercising a wage freeze for the executive team. And how many uh, FTEs is, we're talking about seven people? Uh, roughly seven or eight people. Yes. Eight, yeah, yes. seven or eight people. Got it. Then when we're talking about uh, a restructuring of paid time off, uh, that uh, is 
something that, uh, and again, I can certainly have Tony further expand on that. And then lastly, uh, before we, he gets into that, is the benefit restructure was uh, aligned with our medical contribution. So currently, our, our medical plan uh, across the board is fully subsidized by the employer. This restructure here is uh, transitioning to where uh, employees will have a percentage contribution towards that uh, medical plan. And so Tony can provide more details on so that. So on the uh, discretionary time off, right now we have what's called PTO, which most of you will be familiar with, where you accrue time. Mm -hmm. We're moving to discretionary time off for the direct level and above. We will cease to accrue time for any of those employees. Uh, and so they will be approved. They'll request time off. They'll be given time off for which they'll be paid. But we will not accrue uh, PTO on the balance sheet. And so that will serve as uh, about $3.3 million a year at the direct level and above. So at the point they've earned anything, they'll retain what they've already earned, but they will cease to accrue any time going forward. It's just a matter of requesting and operationally our ability to sustain them being out of the office, and then the time will be approved off. And how many FTEs would be included? Uh, that's covering, I've got, I'd have to go back and just check the exact hard. number. Yeah, it's less than 500. I would say it's about 200 or less because it's directors only and above. It doesn't it. cover the rest of the management team uh, who are a mixture of represented and unrepresented in ACME. <coughs> On the benefits restructure, what we're intending to do right now, there's a contribution to the Kaiser plan. There is zero contribution to the AHS plan. Across the 18 various labor contracts, we have ability to increase in the term of the contract contributions. And so the plan would be to introduce contributions in those contracts, which we can. That's not going to be all of them immediately because the language varies in the contract, which has led to some of the discussion you heard earlier about us trying to standardize contract language. So we have the ability to approach all of our benefits equally. But we think in a in this year, because we wouldn't put it in play until January, we're trying to save about one point four million dollars for the employer over a full year full calendar a full fiscal year it'd be about two point eight million dollars going forward each year. And depending upon our strategy that may change. Mm -hmm. And then to highlight several of the other areas, uh, I won't go through every single one of them, but I will just point out, for example, some of the large ticket items <coughs> we're targeting a reduction of overtime by thirty percent. This is a tremendous effort that's being led by the uh, all the leaders, all the managers specifically in the acute care sites. Uh, to share with you all, we, we, we performed an analysis of our current time utilization through our systems. And one of the things that was very uh, evident was the fact that we oftentimes have excess capacity within our normal time within our current uh, FD allocation, but yet we're resorting to overtime. So for example, someone that is working or is, work, uh, is working at a point six or part-time, they're not being utilized to fill additional gaps in schedules or to continue to provide additional service, and we're paying someone else premium time that's already uh, achieved their full FD. And so again, this really comes down to close management and how we're really you know, supporting and, and leveraging all of our, our, our staff and our FDs. Uh, we've, we've adjusted uh, through provider delivery. We've looked at uh, all of the different uh, areas, and we've eliminated and reduced some provider FDs that either we have not uh, been able to fill, we've had difficulties in recruiting, or that we're taking a different approach to say that, uh, you know, we're going to continue with a contracted provider or a contracted service to continue to provide that uh, support. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I would say here that um, uh, focusing on productivity. Uh, this has been, and it really ties back to 
what Delvecchio was mentioning, and it really has a direct impact on revenues. And so as we're, we're focusing on working with all of our medical staff uh, leaders, all of our chairs, uh, there's a tremendous effort to look and see how we can continue to add to our templates, maybe increasing uh, visits. And we're reflecting some of that already, as Ann mentioned, in some of these areas. For example, ambulatory and primary care is increasing visits by 3%. Uh, so we're, we're focusing on those things. And in GI, we're adding additional endoscopy cases. And so there's all of this review that we're doing, and it's all driven by leveraging the current footprint that we have with the current resources, but increasing our volumes. And so that's been uh, uh, good work in that area, and we'll continue to evaluate that. And then lastly, we do have there that uh, part of this plan here is the closure of the Alameda Primary Care Clinic. And that's the clinic that we opened uh, about a year ago, and it really has not uh, uh, gotten to the point where it's, it's materialized yeah, in, in volumes. My recollection's last report was the uh, patient level was extremely low. Correct. We're seeing about 30 patients a month. Yeah, that's not sustainable. Correct. So with that, uh, I will transition now over to Ashwari to walk us through the exercise of what we did to continue to vet and finalize those programmatic changes. I, I'm sorry. I've, I've got a, a minor city of Oakland emergency, so I'm yeah. going to have to leave and come back. Uh, but can you just touch quickly, like, can, can we skip over to the, to the service impacts on OB, NICU, um, psych, psych emergency? Oh, that's where we're This right here? Uh, oh, I'm, yeah, exactly. I think we're getting ready to go right into that. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, she's about to walk through it, but maybe if we can do direct questions and maybe fast Yeah, maybe if you want to front load some questions. You know, I just, um, so the total savings from these, uh, from, you're talking about eliminating these six programs. Yes. Um, and, and I, I just want to make sure I understand that 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 nets eighteen point five five million. Is that correct? That was the original list that we had. But one of the programs here um, is uh, after review is a is a consolidation. So this number you see was what we'd originally worked off of. But what's the adjustment you see in the next slide is is what we are have built into the 2020 budget, which is really the first, uh, in the first slide you see that the uh, behavioral outpatient program that's provided at two locations, both uh, have losses. Right. That's right. And so what 17. is intended. This is the program that speakers had. Yes, yes. that's correct. Right. And, and what was, uh, is, 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 is at least here, is that the, uh, the uh, uh, revenue, that the volumes could be accommodated at one of the locations so that there's no impact to patient care from an um, access perspective, but a consolidation to provide, get the economies of scale to provide the services at one location. So that's what's so, in So here. really that next slide with the 17.5? Is the sum total after that. And that's losing 119 employees. The total of all these programs for a six-month period, we modeled it off of our current staffing, um, is uh, is not 119 employees. It's 119 FTEs, sorry, FTEs, FTEs, and it, it it is more employees. And, and the other thing, uh, just because you you won't you won't hear it, Joe, and we'll, we'll try to manage the amount of detail here. But uh, these are models, just like the budget is a model. model and so uh, it only reflects the level of detail that we've gone into now. There's more detail for us to go into. But just by example, to your question about the FTEs, those are direct FTEs, meaning the people impacted that provide the services. There may be some downstream impact to people who support those services from other parts of the organization that a downscaled organization would also have to look at what the impact would be there as well. So. But the patient, the, the visits, that, 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 you know, 21,497 for, for 
for women's, women's services. services. I mean, all, all of those combined, I mean, that, those numbers haven't really changed. I mean, the, the, the consolidation helps, but for the other programs, the, of course, the only thing that changed on this one was not closing the IOP those entirely. Those just don't happen. Those patients don't get those services. That, they don't get them here. Yeah, yeah. That's what that would mean. And that's effective, mind you, as of, and, and I don't know if you were here when I said this before, it will be as of January if we can't figure something out. It. So it's not as of July. Right. Yeah. So with that, when would, okay, so I, I know it's a long process to lay people off and to close down programs. Do any of these require uh, v -Lens v -Lens Yeah, uh, practically all of them. All of them. Yeah, yeah. And what's the timeline on that? Uh, I think our understanding is, is, is it 90 days or 120 it, days? It's, it's, it's a two-part process from my understanding from our uh, legal guidance is that yeah. it's one is a notice to the county that has to be done 60 days in advance, 60. followed by v and hearing, which can, I think the notification is at least two weeks in advance for each of the programs you would consider closure. The other thing is for the women's services piece, uh, uh, it impacts our uh, uh, scope of service for FQHCs, and so that actually, on the outpatient side, so it requires a notification to HRSA uh, about a change in scope, which would then uh, actually be contingent on them actually approving it and agreeing to it, and so there's no guarantee that that would actually happen, and actually, as you know, we are a... Uh, we're a uh, sub-FQ of, uh, of, of the county, so we're 330H in, in the county's program. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot more work that has to happen between there, and it's our public comments to the staff and leaders. Obviously, as I said, we don't want it to happen, you don't want it to happen. We're gonna do everything we can to prevent it and know that they're going to be working hard to uh, it, make sure it doesn't happen is as well. It, um, I, I really appreciate that you've created this, uh, that you've, you've, you've tried to put stave off the, the, the dire cuts for six months uh, as, a, as a strategy. I, I appreciate that. Um, when is it possible that in September, at the end of the federal fiscal year, we'll have a better understanding of the potential supplemental revenues that, that like something might happen with DISH? Uh, yes. Uh, the, the, the message I've been hearing uh, when I'm in uh, D.C. is uh, there, there is bipartisan support for uh, staving off dish cuts. It's all in the political process at this point. Uh, it is entirely possible that, as has happened in other years where it's been uh, staved off, is it happens after the fact and they retro it back. So we'll have a sense of how things are going to go. It may not be done at that point, just because that's how Congress tends to work sometimes. Uh, but uh, um, we will have more of a sense internally of we can, I mean, there are several ways that we can address this. Some of the things that we can do may actually, and things both between now and the time it comes to the full board, as well as the month or two after that, I think is really our active period to work on these things more aggressively if we don't have a solution yet. That will pretend for either staving this off even further so we can say, you know, we're going to be able to survive nine months without it versus six months without a solution. We could have an interim plan of if you can't fill this gap at that point, then we can have some additional support or some other kind Consideration, but right now this is our best guess. At when we and, and what's your best guess on what dish could be? What, how much are we losing by right. going away? Twenty. And there's a relationship to AB. Yeah. So we, we actually, this is the perverse kind of craziness of our funding. So the fact that we lose dish opens up the opportunity that we can keep more by AB, AB or yeah, our realignment dollars, AB 85. Well, if we get line. dish back, then the net, I think it'll actually be a net improvement. I believe is a, a, of about three million. So so while the dish money back might be about 20 million or 25 million or something that we don't get it all on top of what we have here. Right. It'll be an improvement of about $3 million because it will supplant this and maybe we have to give more AB85 back. 
So that actually doesn't help us save helps a little bit. A little yeah. bit. Yeah, not 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 completely. So are we going to get into a little bit more detail around these? Yeah. Topics? So <laughs> I was wondering if this question. Yeah, I, just, I really appreciate particularly that. Those, I just, I'm I particularly those. Uh, want to understand the psychoemergency. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to go, go back. So why don't we go back to the to the beginning of the? Thank you for sure for doing that. Definitely going to give Trustee DeVries a chance to ask some questions and. Um, yeah, take us, take us through the, let's try to do it by program area and then yes. we can ask okay. questions. Uh, and, and right at the outset, again, I just wanted to echo what Del Vecchio said. The work that we did was really looking purely from a financial perspective to understand which are the programs that are financially um, the ones that are losing the most money for us. And, and most of these programs, as you'll see, have a pair mix that's challenging, which is a cr pretty much across the board for us at a Alameda Health System. Um, and it's really unfortunate that I, um, you know, it's, it's very distressing for the staff and myself to be here in, and present this. So, um, uh, you know. Understood. Um, um, so what we had done is that we had, in addition to looking at the financial picture, we were originally, and most of our time actually has been spent in figuring out what is in the first, uh, uh, under three, what's in the first line there. Really figuring out how can we look at those prog uh, the programs that are here and look, at, look to see how can we further evaluate the revenues, the contracts, the expenses within each opportunity to really recognize improvements in margin. And frankly, we did have uh, significant um, efforts that are, as Del Vecchio mentioned, already underway to make those things happen. But unfortunately, many of those don't necessarily cover the gap that we have in order to get us to a uh, budget that we need to sustain us as an organization. Um, and, and the providers, as well as the operational leaders, have been wonderful partners in figuring that out, and that work continues under the challenging circumstances that we have. We also look to see if the programs that we have here are sole community providers, um, and, and also the prayer mix of the program to see if they're serving an underserved or an uninsured population. Um, and also, finally, to see the program is standalone and does not have an impact on other operations. But again, that work uh, involves a little bit more detail, and, and we know it as a broad brushstroke, but we do know that we have not modeled what could the impact on Alameda Health System be if these programs were mm -hmm. not in existence, which would be a reduced scope of operations across all our services, you know, support services like finance, IT, HR, and other, other spaces. And we also have not modeled what could be the decline in some of the supplemental funding. Each of those is different. While there might not be an impact for, say, Measure A, there could be some impact on prime waiver funding and so on and so forth, and we have not done the modeling on that to determine what, what that would mean if these programs were eliminated. So under that construct, let me move on. I think I covered the next slide, which was um, uh, really looking at where we started. Uh, this was the basis of where we started. We took the first six months of this fiscal year and across these programs and said, what is the net patient service revenue? That is, what, are the, what, is, what is it that we are actually getting paid for the services we provide? for these programs. And I'll go through in detail and also answer any questions that any of you um, trustees might have towards each of these programs to the extent uh, that, I'm, um, that I can, uh, that I can um, do so uh, now. Uh, then we also looked at the direct cost. And when we say direct cost, we're looking at what is the direct cost to the program. So we're mainly looking at the labor, a staffing that's required to staff this program. We're looking at it across both the um, FTEs that we have on staff and also the contracted providers that are serving the program. So that is included in the, in the direct cost. And also the ancillary costs that are 
um, needed to support the program. This, these were supplies, pharmaceuticals, and other things. So the, the difference between the two gives you uh, basically uh, what the um, margin uh, margin is, and you can see those listed here. So, for a six so this period. is before administrative overhead? Correct. We did not apply administrative overhead, and neither did we apply here the supplemental funding, which we did do in a more exhaustive analysis. But again, to finesse it, we didn't feel comfortable presenting those numbers because if we were not looking at it from an elimination perspective, we were just trying to understand what the program's entire margin is. And so in order to determine that, we have to do more detailed work. Um, so, sorry, yes. so it's a projected for the first half of... 2020, the margin. Yes. So there's two assumptions here. What we did was we took the revenue assumptions, basically just took whatever we have in FY18 for the first six months and, uh, and assumed that that would be the revenue that we would get if we were to not have that program or whatever the revenue impact for that program is. On the direct cost side, what we did was we inflated the labor expenses by just a factor of 3% just to say what is the potential impact of the increased labor cost. We know it's 3% on average across the board for FY20. So we had to do a pretty much a rough estimate. And it's based on current staffing mm -hmm. and not on FY20, uh, any, any changes that might be um, happening there. Thank you. Um, so. The first um, set of um, programs that you see here are the ones that, um, 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 that are listed here are the OB services, and these include uh, all our obstetric services that are provided at Highland Hospital. Uh, mainly these are uh, deliveries, and the supporting services, which is Valbaby and the neonatology uh, services we provide. Uh, and also uh, within that component, uh, there is uh, an OB, a triage that is um, also included here. Um, so those are in the first two. The second are um, all women's outpatient services, and these are provided across our four wellness centers. They're, they're services that are provided in our outpatient clinics that take place at Highland, Eastmont, Newark, as well as Hayward. And these are really a mix of the visit volumes you see here are a mix of uh, moms who are coming in there for their OB care, uh, pre or postnatal, and also a mixture of gynecological services and other women's services um, uh, that are included. This is what uh, Delvecchio had mentioned earlier would require. These are all our FQHC clinics. So a change um, in a program elimination here will require a change in scope. Um, and will also require notification and through that process uh, on how, and, and it may be accepted or not by the county as well as the state. Do we have any sense of how HRSA handles these requests? Sorry, any sense of? How HRSA handles uh, oh, a request like this? I, I, I unfortunately, uh, I have not had to do this before, so yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, and again, we, we, we produce these things at the at the final hour. We were trying to avoid all of this, so we have a lot more work to go to yeah. figure this out. But in general, with the FQHC, when you have a scope change, it, it affects your rate for every type of visit. Sure. Yes. It's and, and we did not so model what the impact of that would be on the oh, rest you of the system. You did not. It's yes. a blender. We did not. Okay. We did not do so that. that. Uh, and, and the third um, that you see here uh, is the significant service that's provided at uh, John George, which is our psychiatric emergency services. Uh, this, there is still a lot of work in progress. Uh, to be, all we've done is to capture current state, and there is a lot of work in progress to determine what are alternate um, methods of delivery that we could uh, potentially leverage 
in order to gain potentially better revenues and or, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah. serve our patients better. And I'll mention, uh, I shared this with some of the trustees, so I don't know um, if all of you have heard, uh, just like uh, I want to underscore something on the women's services side, too, particularly because our department chair is here. Um, uh, particularly with these two services, we've been in active efforts to look at uh, when we had the contribution of margin analysis, where could we do better? How could we uh, enhance services? So on the uh, uh, women's services side, I say um, um, uh, Dr. Smith has been here since February, and we've been in active dialogues, as you recall, first with children's hospitals to say, don't start an OB service because we have capacity and we feel like you know it'll be largely Medi-Cal volume and uh, we, we can partner more. Uh, we got great traction there, and not only there, uh, thanks to Dr. Smith's leadership, partnership with UCSF to look at how to expand the, uh, uh, the services we provide to the community in terms of maternal and fetal medicine for high-risk OB, uh, as well as then looking at a collaboration that, may, that pretends for the opportunity to bring more deliveries to AHS under a sort of restructured, um, uh, uh, rebranded collaboration between AHS and UCSF. So uh, we plan to continue uh, pursuing that uh, uh, until such time that we, uh, we feel we're at the end of the line here, but we're hoping that doesn't come to pass. On the psych emergency side, under uh, Dr. Tribble's leadership, uh, we have been exploring a model where we might be able to enhance reimbursement for the exact same services we provide and the care uh, that we provide to the community uh, just by sort of rebranding uh, uh, the space in such a way that it's not a cons um, sort of a complete uh, crisis stabilization. We call our PES psych emergency because that's just a nomenclature for it. There's no state designation for a psych emergency. It's effectively a medical high-acuity uh, crisis stabilization unit, and that's how we get reimbursed. And so that actually has some drawbacks in terms of rates that we get, and uh, we understand that there's some opportunities that we need to explore more to see if there's some ways to get better reimbursement just for the services that we're providing, which those reimbursements come largely from the county. Uh, um, uh, but we were exploring this model where we could uh, kind of truly bifurcate what's a emergency type of service delivery and then a longer term crisis stabilization that goes up to you know up to 20 hours if not longer for placement challenges but that pretended for a different revenue model that allowed for us to build uh, commercial players including uh, Medi-Cal uh, in a different manner than we're currently able to do and uh, our county partners understandably so has some concerns with that model in fact we have some concerns with it in terms of uh, some unintended consequences that it might have to the community, uh, but notwithstanding that, after it's doing anything, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're relegated to the current model, and the current model has the, the deficits, at least under uh, our current uh, processes. So, so what's, what's proposed here, though? Promising to the ER, level 1, ETA, 15 minutes. Promising to the ER, level 1, ETA, 15 minutes. What? Mike, it's a question. What, what's being proposed here would be a, a total elimination of the psych ER. Yes, as of January first, if we can't if okay. we can't solve this some other way. So, you know, I, I I I understand from a financial perspective because it's a money loser, but I just don't see from a system standpoint. It's the only you know it's the only psych ER in the county. Right. Okay. It's where. All of the 5150s initially go. Okay, if you close the ER, I'll call it ER or ED or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, um, that that would put a horrible stress on every other hospital in the system. Yes, and uh, and it, it's kind of at the core of the county's 
behavioral health system delivery. Yeah, and I just, I just don't see how, uh, how, how it could be done. I mean, with the, the impact would be so negative on the rest of the community yeah. that, it, that I just don't see it as very viable. I do, I do ha think things like looking at revenue generation and things that we can do differently to, um, to generate more revenue, looking, looking at our payer mix and uh, understanding are we collecting Medicare, what is our, what is our Medi-Cal percentage. Uh, of the people we're not collecting Medi-Cal from, is there something we can do to get them eligible for Medi-Cal? Are they all truly innocent? Mm -hmm. um, but I, uh, and then the, you know, on the, and you and I have talked about this on the short-term Medi-Cal side. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the system was changed a number of years ago to allow hospitals to get the full cost of services. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what they did is they eliminated the schedule of maximum allowances. And they basically said, however, that if you were to get reimbursed for the full cost, uh, a, a significant portion of it would be on the cost report settlement. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know how, it, you know, it's kind of a question, given, given the change, is it reflected in our numbers on the cost report settlement, which are, frankly are usually aren't scheduled, uh, settled for three or four years? Yeah. Uh, or is it just money that all goes back to the county? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I have, you know, we've talked, I, ha I have questions about where we are in our F map and, and our, um, and the match, whether- For the IGTs? Yeah, if you yes. take all the sources of funding, okay, yes. and, you t and you take away all the supplements we're getting, uh, uh, are, are we covering, as county covering their responsibility for the matching funds for Medicaid or Medi-Cal here in California? And anyway, th these are questions that I have. Um, I think on the, um, some of the things I would hope we would look at, uh, first of all, I think on a, a change like this, we have to have the uh, healthcare services and behavioral health as part of the discussion. We just have to, because it so negatively impacts their system of care. Absolutely. Uh, and I think the sooner we do it, the better. Yeah. Um, I, anyway, I have, you know, other questions like, uh, and I talked about, you know, what percentage of the persons we serve in the emergency room are frequent flyers that come back again and again? Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything we can do to uh, mitigate that? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for instance, some some emergency rooms have special funds that they use and things to help people to get into services, get mm -hmm. covered for Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that you know we should do again jointly with the with the county agency. Um, uh, you know, are there a lack of alternatives for people when they leave the ED? You know, the, the county's made a number of changes over the year. They closed, we, I think I mentioned this to you, they closed a short stay mm -hmm. program at Villa Fairmont where all the clients were, the majority of the clients were coming from the ED and from John George. Mm -hmm. And how much has that impacted this? And uh, uh, on the other side, how much of a positive impact is the crisis residential program there on the grounds uh, Jay Maher impacted that? Mm -hmm. And what about the closing of the med clinic at Sossel Creek? You know, is that in, uh, you know, how much is that involved in it? People who can't get their medications, they become, you know, uh, 5150 candidates, they end up going to John George, they swing through the system. Yep. Um, uh, you know, and um, I just, uh, I just, I just have all these concerns about it, and I don't think we can answer this by ourselves. It's, it's just so critical of a service to the county. Yeah. Uh, 
and it and and it is it is it is a unique service. And I know all of the major counties that I'm aware of have a program similar to this. Yeah. Okay. They may do it more. Uh, adjacent to their regular ED, but you know, if you look at Los Angeles, you look at San Francisco, you know, I so so I have I just have major concerns about this, but I do think that we should peel back the onion, sort of speaking, to find out why our costs are not being covered. I, I can, if I if I may, uh, at your overarching piece, I, I, I absolutely agree with, and we, and we have. Uh, began those efforts, and we continue those efforts, and we want to con and we want to continue those efforts. Uh, if we had gotten to a point uh, in producing a budget where we could say we believe that we have enough of those opportunities identified, that that we could say to you, that's how we're going to produce a budget. I mean, you rely on us to give you a budget that's as as accurate as possible for you to make some informed decisions. Uh, we unfortunately aren't aren't there yet. Um, and I don't think there's anything about this, while, while this budget pretends for these things to happen, there's nothing in this budget that affects that actual action at this juncture. It just enables it, short of us being able to figure something else out. Uh, but my hope and uh, my, my wish, similar to yours, is that we will focus all of our attention um, uh, now and you know in the next uh, couple of weeks on trying to do something else. And I believe there is room for something else to be done. I, I firmly believe that. Yeah, I think there's um, the task at hand for those of us who are responsible for the financial health of the, of the system is to pass a credible, balanced budget. And um, that's the challenge that staff, staff said, a, an incredible challenge to get us to that place. I think there's been a lot of real creativity on the revenue side, and and uh, and unfortunately, uh, they have had to go to uh, expense reductions. Um, I think it's uh, you know it's incumbent. We, it's possible to pass a budget that's credible and balanced, and uh, and no one likes it. <laughs> That's the, I've seen these budgets pass before. And basically, the assumption in that situation is you're going to do everything you can every day of the budget period to reverse uh, what you had to put in place. Mm -hmm. um, you've heard uh, you know, the notification process we have to go through, the uh, HRSA surprise. That's a new one for me to, to, to hear about tonight. Not surprising. It, because you commit to a scope mm -hmm. and you have a mixed rate, you're going to have to ask for that. But uh, it, we, we can't, uh, in the middle of the year, the last thing we want to be in the middle of is uh, a major hole in the middle of our budget year and trying to make changes with all those requirements that we'd have to put into place. It's going to be much more of a bludgeon then. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally in alignment with you. Yes, I know you are, and I am with you. Yeah, except so, I'm saying that if you look at the recap of methodology and you look at item number three, eliminating the emergency room, uh, I, I don't know what we call it, ED, yeah, yeah. ER, Psyche. the Psyche ER doesn't, is, doesn't make sense because of the impact that it has, you know, it doesn't meet some of these criteria. Yeah. Is a program is the community's sole provider? Yes, 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. We, we, and just to be clear, we, our, our, our recap of the methodology that we went through wasn't designed to say that if it didn't meet these things, we couldn't do it. I mean, part, part, you know, truth and fact, uh, there's a lot of stuff that we do that would, would not meet the criteria. It wasn't a criteria. It was an algorithm for us to say, if that is, in fact, the case, what could we do about it? Yeah. Uh, what we're saying to you is... We haven't gotten to that point, and we hope we don't get to that point, uh, because as you're astutely pointing out with psych emergency, uh, I, I think there's a slight difference in that than other things. We could say, you know, if I were going to cut cardiology services or GI services or, heck, perhaps even trauma services, there are other trauma services in the county. They're not who we are, and I would dare not say that they could supplant who we are, uh, but... You know, if you wanted to make the case, there is other trauma. There's not other but psych emergency. Like, you know, I don't want to huh? argue with you. But on the trauma side, I thought we had the highest level of trauma. We do. Yeah. We're the only level one trauma yeah. as of so a year and a half ago. That's yeah. right. That's right. Uh, but, you know, level two is exists and it works. Uh, um, my point is just saying we, we, we want to... We felt our obligation to you and, and listen to the expectation you gave us was to produce something that said to you, now... Here's what we're likely to face, not give you the opportunity to approve a budget where we basically not even just put it on our backs, but the backs of the staff, who you hear saying, we keep doing things that try to make this work, that they're feeling is making it unsafe for them, that they're feeling they're losing their jobs with insufficient notice. We want you to know now that we're hurting. They're hurting, and we hurt with them. And if we can't fix this in some collaborative way, which recognizes that there's only so much we can do on on our side of the ledger here, um, um, that's that that is the reality we'll have to face as a county. And I don't mean the county as an institution, yeah. but as a network of people who are committed to this. And yeah. we don't have we either haven't found or made or don't have the resources to maintain the commitment to what we say we want to do for this community. And, and again, I, you know, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in agreement with you, but I just, I don't think it's realistic to eliminate this service. I think we can peel I back the not. onion. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. agree. Yeah, <clears throat> I want to kind of echo some specific concerns. I mean, this is obviously just painful to even consider mm -hmm. um, uh, pretty much all of this, but I, I want to drill down a bit on and have a few questions about um, the OB services um, and the psych emergency services. Um, so my sense, and being sort of a newer trustee and having recently sort of toured all the facilities, I have a specific question regarding um, OB services. And my impression is that this is a newer uh, facility. We, you know, I don't know whether we're technically in a ramp-up phase or not, but there appears to be capacity. There appears to be significant efforts. There was a significant threat that I'm very glad to hear seems to be averted or, you know, behind us in, in, in that thinking we were going to have um, significant competition from um, UCSF uh, Benioff. Children's Hospital. Um, that's huge, I think, um, if, if we're talking about working in partnership. Um, so I guess my question is, I get that we were looking at margins based on sort of the next six months out, but do we have um, projections that show a more favorable picture for OB going forward? And if so, I mean, is that something that we would want to, to contemplate here? We, I, I think the answer is, thank you for the question. I think the answer is yes, we do. Uh, uh, and we'd be happy to share to contemplate it because we've been working on it. What it doesn't do, though, is get us to 1.47. So uh, we'd be sharing it with you with the understanding that at least as it as we model it, and a budget is a model, uh, it doesn't. What we forecast, actually, I believe, was an increase in deliveries of about 100 additional deliveries. Um, 
we we have been successful on balance in uh, keeping our deliveries uh, uh, up since the hospital opened. So we were, I think, close to a thousand then, like just under a thousand maybe, uh, and now we're uh, idling around twelve hundred uh, north or south, uh, a couple tens or twenty here or there. Uh, we were trying to get up a even more than that, and that would be the model we'd show you. That model would not bring it down to zero on that particular line. It would help. And we plan to keep trying to do it. Uh, and if it gets us, when we look at the totality of what can happen in PES and here to a different future, then we may be able to come to you soon and say, we've gotten this out. We, we're, we're not facing the looming crisis that we, were, we thought we were or we were looking at before at six months. Maybe it's at nine months. Maybe it's 10 months. Maybe it gets us to the full year. But it buys us some time to keep pursuing other efforts to close it. If, if I understand so. that it doesn't close, that it can't close the gap. Um, I guess what I'm saying, though, is that it may, it, you know, if we thought that the margin loss was going to stay flat over time, mm -hmm. then that would be one thing. But right. if, what we're saying is that this is sort of a reflection of the stage that we're in, and we right. see a rosier future, then it no longer looks like the loss leader. I'm sure that's not the right word, but it no longer looks that way mm -hmm. um, if we think that we're going to improve our margins because of all the efforts being put in place. And obviously, um, one of the reasons why this is bringing me such great concern is, um, you know, we're talking about 96 percent Medi-Cal that mm -hmm. we're serving. Mm -hmm. um, we are also at a time when, um, you know, we have, um, I think we're, we are a leader in terms of uh, infant mortality, mo yep. maternal yep. mortality, yep. and these are things that black infant mortality, black maternal mortality specifically are increasing dramatically within this county. And so for us to be the institution that is serving, um, you know, the, the large proportion of this uh, population and, and meeting a need and filling a gap and doing it well mm -hmm. um, and with a trajectory that looks positive, um, that makes it that makes this um, seem like uh, shooting ourselves in the foot, uh, mm -hmm. I guess, um, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So um, on the psych ES side, you know, I agree with Ross. We also have sort of a shared responsibility with the county, and so I agree with you in terms of, you know, these conversations need to be happening. Um, I'll just say, though, I mean, from a sort of community-provider perspective mm -hmm. and just a resident of Oakland perspective and just, I mean, any way you look at this, I shudder to think what would happen if AHS was not running psych emergency services in this county. Um, I think the potential loss of life and, and I mean, real tragedies that are already being averted every day because we do the work that we do, um, you know, and I don't know what that viable other solution would be. I'm not saying that to say that this is our pro solely our problem, that we have to figure this out and that we're obligated. I think that we do have obligations and they're shared again, and I think that having those conversations is critical. Mm -hmm. um, but I just sort of ha I have to flag. I mean, I know we don't have the percentages here, but it's probably 100% Medi-Cal. I don't think we've got too many yeah. folks with PPOs, you know, over there at John George. Um, and um, and so, again, I mean, given our role in the safety net, I mean, this one feels like an impossible choice. And so um, maybe a little bit of a similar question to the OB question. Um, do we have a performer projections related to the conversion from like a psyche S to a crisis stabilization format? And is that something that we could be able mm -hmm. to look at? So uh, the answer is yes. I'm, I'm looking. Uh, sorry to Dr. Tribble. Uh, what we could share with you is um, the the model that we have been discussing with the county. I will just caveat that is is the last discussion we have with them, which was uh, behavioral health care services. It was 
several areas of healthcare services, EMS, behavioral health, healthcare services, and I think that may have been it. Uh, the feedback we got, which we appreciated, was we're very concerned with this. And it was our second time having a conversation, uh, so we have quarterly conversations, second time on that. Uh, uh, but um, the, the desire was, and now it was a very positive conversation. It was, you know, we should be looking at something more long-term, is what we put out, uh, which is that maybe we need not just additional crisis stabilization, but a bigger footprint for even psych emergency and other services in our community. Uh, but that's a longer range plan. And in the short term, the, 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 the problem, and not to uh, in any way diminish the, 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 the big problem that exists in our community, but a lot of the problem that sits squarely on AHS's shoulders, then again, when I say AHS, I'm talking about the staff who are there yeah. toiling every day to provide these services and the conditions that when we produce a budget, we subject them to, uh, and then we try to make it work. And when it doesn't work, then you know it's you know, it's all bad. And it's not just bad from people complain or, or, or having legitimate complaints about their jobs, but we have quality issues there. You know, we have people who are harmed in sometimes avoidable ways. And we, we we're just saying this organization, the people in this organization, are trying their darndest to produce the mm -hmm. quality care they're capable of doing, they're committed to doing, and. It's, it's taxing right now. It's been taxing for a while, and incrementally, the impact that it places on us without some additional uh, support, which is no one's fault in terms of the county or anyone else, and we're never intending to convey that, but it's the reality we face. And so we don't want this to happen. I, I'm like you, I shudder to think, and like you, that this county could survive without uh, PES. I also sort of think, though, that if we produce a budget for you to say that we could sustain PES and everything else that we do, that we would make it work, that you'd be uh, uh, understandably frustrated when that doesn't come to pass. And others who hold you accountable would say, why is it that you haven't made it work? You produced a budget, your budget said it could work, and now it's not working. So I see it as critical to model that out because, um, again, I get that nobody liked the idea or maybe for a lot of reasons there was concerns, but this has to be at least 100 times more concerning. So, I mean, this the, the thought of closing it. So I, I think I, I feel a responsibility to see that piece modeled out. We're happy to show that. Um, I guess my last thing that I'll say, and this, might, this is probably a big one, is that, you know, the thought of closing an entire facility, which I, is, this, is that what we're talking about here with closing psych ES or would... would uh, no, 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 it would just be uh, PES uh, um, uh, so if this came in to happen. So they would keep... Inpatient psych would still be there. So on, on the campus is also the inpatient and then uh, isn't there an outpatient clinic there as well? Uh, there's an outpatient on the Fairmont side. It's an intensive outpatient for oh, okay. side. Yeah, the, the, and that, uh, the other one was this consolidation of Highland and um, uh, the Fairmont program into that particular site. So we would keep psych inpatient and at John George, but not right. an outpatient, but not psych. Okay, well, I think for me, this is all so dramatic and um, and sort of a little incongruent with my concept of you know the 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 safety net the public hospital safety net in terms of i mean in terms of the things we have to weigh out so my question is have we modeled out other options like closures of facilities we have huge capital expenditures coming before us in some of our facilities i don't know what the payer mixes look like at all of our facilities but 96 percent and 100 percent and then you know i mean the, the that's that's our population mm -hmm. so if there are sites that ahs operates that are not serving as large of a portion of the safety net um, 
and that might have looming costs ahead of us, I guess my question is, can we analyze the option of closing any of those facilities? And I get that we have all these other legal and other considerations for everything, for everything that we have to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I feel a little bit um, back to the wall with this, with this set of options without any other ones to look at. And I feel like no, at I, least I would like to see those laid out if possible. I, I, I would to totally second what she's saying because mm -hmm. I think we need to look, you know, we have a structural deficit here. Yes. And uh, we have to deal with the immediate, but we also have to deal with the long term. And I think that, yeah, I think that's true. a question yeah. that we just at least need to look at. So, uh, fair point, uh, and we're happy to, to do that and provide that for you. Um, um, I think we're probably at a point here where I want to be respectful of the, the team that does this work is a, a small but mighty force. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, we probably need to, in particular when we get to something of that scale, uh, and as we've said, even this, we have to do some further work into the sort of uh, deeper pieces of this to understand uh, more completely the implications. But something of that magnitude, we'd, we'd have to bring someone else in, and, and we're happy to do that. It just may take a while. Uh, what I want to do is just set expectations. I wouldn't ask you today to say, you know, do you want me to model closure of San Leandro or Alameda? I would not put you on the spot yes. to do that. And But I would say that closing Alameda Hospital is not our it's not our prerogative. Of course. It's a hospital that we manage through a JPA. We could model what would happen if we uh, um, backed out of the JPA, which would then be uh, a discussion uh, between this board and Alameda Health District Board. Uh, but the only closures of facilities we'd be talking about other than uh, services at, at sites would be Highland or uh, any of our clinics or San Leandro. Uh, where we're just completing construction for rehab services to be relocated for from Fairmont. So uh, it yeah, would be I, I guess I'm sort of I, I hear you. I'm sort of asking in a, a, a little bit different question. Okay. Looking at each campus, okay, and seeing standing by itself, mm -hmm. how is it doing? You know, it, it, is it is it covering its cost? Is it you know is it falling? Yeah. And then from that. You know, we might be able to make other. So we have done that. Uh, remind you, uh, for, uh, we've actually given you analysis for both. Uh, I believe both Alameda and San Leandro. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe we need yeah. to. We can, maybe we need to look at that again. We'd be happy yeah. to share that with you. I, I, just a reminder in this process that we staff has been um, working internally to go through a process of finding capturing all potential revenue and expenses and analyzing how to make up the difference after that. And this is what we end up with. I don't think there's a magic bullet out there, unfortunately. Um, the It is sort of a blunt instrument, a plan, right? Um, and I think that's the discomfort that uh, the trustees are going to be having, that I have. Uh, I'd be. I'd rather watch the Warriors lose right now than be sitting right here. No, I'm not. I'm not uh, predicting anything. Yeah, we don't want to know. Don't tell us. But I, this is just not. Um, these are just not a, a really good set of choices. Um, but I don't know if there are a lot better choices. And uh, I am wondering about budget process. So I'll go over it. Uh, General Counsel about what we have to do in terms of the question was that came up last month was what do we have to pass a, a budget uh, by the end of the fiscal year mm -hmm. do we have some window to wait uh, uh, to do some more research 
Where are we with that? Well, you know, the bylaws provide that, you know, the board will pass a balanced budget by July, uh, or excuse me, June 30th, um, you know, by the end of the fiscal year. Um, there, the bylaws don't provide any sanction for failing uh, to do that. Um, arguably, you know, one of the sanctions would be that the board is not fulfilling its responsibilities set forth in other places. The bylaws would subject them to um, a question as they're continuing to serve, you know, as the board for uh, the organization. Um, so there's, there's no clear answer. Um, you know, in that, uh, again, going back to Del Vecchio's point, that, you know, the budget itself is, you know, a model or a tool which provides the framework for things going forward. It doesn't take a specific action in and of itself. Even the things set forth in the budget would require other additional actions. You may have a question as to whether or not, so for example, if there was anticipated some action which is not covered it by some other authority, whether or not, you know, you can undertake that. Mm -hmm. but. Again, I believe that the, the arc of the conversation here is that those things that might cause the need for those types of decisions are not anticipated as immediate first quarter, second quarter impacts, but more likely further on down the line. So by that time, the but issue we're might still, be resolved. But I mean, to be clear, we're being asked to vote on a budget that is um, approving the closure of these services, the ending of these services. It's making provisions for that so, to happen. So let me, let me try something. Is it possible to for the Board of Trustees to pass a budget uh, with a, uh, an amendment that would uh, require staff to um, get further authorization for specific large uh, reductions in services? Yes. Yeah. So um, we could pass a balanced budget with, you know, they're, they're, they're all, I'm with you. They're, 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 these are unimaginable. And, but there are assumptions we're agreeing to if we pass this budget, correct? I mean. Well, but with the caveat that um, it, it's, they don't that the, it, the system is going to do everything it can to prevent the worst case scenario of fulfilling the budget and therefore staff needs to come back to get specific authorization to proceed with large uh, reductions in service that we're uncomfortable with. Yeah. But it's don't, don't you also have the notices and everything that you have to get yeah, the staff have to do and the timing for that and going and through the that. Council. That's correct. So we'd have to, so this would be an, an I, what, what I hear Trustee Sheguin uh, proposing is another layer of, of a requirement for the organization which you have the authority to, to govern uh, that these things you're, you're, you're putting in the fact that you're advancing a balanced budget uh, that includes these things but before they could actually happen you get you, you are reserving or withholding the right to say you can't do that at this point which gives you the opportunity to say if you don't do that let's say we didn't have a solution if we came to you and said well let's do both scenarios let's do the rosiest scenario we come to you we have a solution that doesn't have to occur but it would, and we still maintain the fidelity of the budget and you feel comfortable with that meaning we're meeting our obligations uh, then we're good uh, if it doesn't transpire, or we feel that you know we're we're at that point. We're, it's our responsibility to notify you that 
we're at that point, you need to say whether, whether you truly want to move forward with this and then all the steps. It gives us more time to give you deeper analysis of alternatives and options if you uh, uh, um, so desire and we believe we would need to do. The challenge for us is we don't want to spend uh, we want to spend our first part of it this time uh, because we ran out of time on this si this side of it, uh, trying to not get this done. So we don't want to spend our time doing analysis of what, how does we make it happen and what happens when it happens. We want to spend the first part saying, how can we stop this from happening? What are the levers we have at our disposal to do that? And then if we get to the point of we're, we're as much as we can and maybe we've saved you know, psych emergency and OB is still an issue, or we save OB and psych is an issue, we come to you and say, here's where we are, what would you have us to do? I have to make this point that I don't think there are other expense, I've been in this conversation with staff for, for a bit, I, I don't sense that there are, you know, magic bullets out there of other, uh, other ways we could pass a, a balanced budget and therefore, we could just be in a non-budgetary, we could just <laughs> have this well, conversation Well, I guess my forever. question would be, you know, so if we, if we kept going, right, with our top, our problematic, the ones with the, with the worst margins, mm -hmm. um, if we went down to the top 15, you know what I'm saying? Or I know, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I know this is 14. Sure. Yeah, that's right. But, and, and, and look, I mean, when I see 62% of the patients are Medi-Cal, and I'm not saying I'm not worried about outpatient women's services because I want to make sure that these 22,000, you know, services can be absorbed in other places, but in, you have, um, you know, 62% of the patients are Medi-Cal. You have not only the CHCN clinics, but actually, um, you know, I happen to be pretty familiar with the fact that in the, the private sector of the safety net, uh, OBGYN is actually one of the areas that does have a fair amount of capacity. And, mm -hmm. and, and so you have, you have private providers, you have the CHCN clinics, you have other clinics um, that provide those services. And so for me, that one feels... You know, less, uh, yeah, yeah, less jarring, yeah. Le less, um, you know, dangerous, frankly. Um, and again, when I say dangerous, this isn't putting it all on us that we're inflicting danger. This yeah. is just saying, this is just saying, you know, um, so what, what are the potential, what's the potential to the whole, the entire community? And so and I understand that we need geographic spread. We want geographic spread. We don't want to inconvenience people having to go too far. But I mean, I think that's a real other consideration. Like, like if we went down the list and looked at more places and we saw that there were areas where there is capacity within the community, it's not as heavily weighted towards Medi-Cal. I mean, maybe we decide, you know, to leave number one and number five alone and then do, you know, number seven through 10, whatever. So I just, for me, this is, this this is a hard one to say, you know, um, yeah, by Janu January 1st is not very far away. That's correct. And, so, the, yeah, uh, so. And if I could just sound one note of caution, you know, there are these procedures that are in place, but uh, quite frankly, they don't buy you that much time. Sure. The, because, you know, the the minimum requirements are the 60-day notice account into the administrative code and then the, 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 the California statutory requirement of 14 notice under the balance. But to make meaningful use of that, because the whole point of these notice periods is to you know, have discussions and look at these things. And so you need to, to build time on to do those things. And so by the time you sort of back it out, it really you know, comes out to be about a four or five month notice program. The old process that you're talking about in some respects in order to you know meet a particular target date so uh, again there that does provide something but I just think you know it's useful to sound a note of caution about how much that does for you 
And it does nothing for the budget picture. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, buying time doesn't, I mean, we'd still be looking at January 1 if we wanted this to be, to come to fruition. Well, what, what buying time does uh, from a budget perspective is give you the opportunity to kind of get a sense of what things are trending, how things are trending, what, what, how close is your budget a, a good approximation of what reality is, as well as it gives you time to figure out if you can you can actually figure out where, whether there may be some additional revenue or whether there may be some additional external support that will help you to close this gap. So it gives you time to collaborate to try to, uh, more than what we have been successful thus far in doing to try to close that. I will say, and I think it's impor important to say, uh, as I said, we're continuing our work uh, uh, and um, um, hoping, you know, I, I agree with you, there is there doesn't appear to be a magic bullets out there that we haven't uh, found. Um, we, we do believe there is a slight, I want to underscore slight here, outside opportunity that um, as we look at the, uh, the timing of various revenue or uh, reserve uh, um, um, actions happening, that we may have some favorable impact that we haven't fully uh, recognized yet. And by that, what I mean, just to be a little less, uh, or a bit more precise for you, is that uh, we believe that there may be some cash pickups that we uh, anticipate having from dollars that we have generated already from those replacement supplemental programs that we are awaiting the reimbursement on. Uh, some of those uh, we are getting signals might actually happen in the next year. Mm -hmm. To the extent that they are substantial enough, and we're still trying to get a, a good clarity on this, mm -hmm. that could pretend for uh, uh, the ability for us to maintain, stay within compliance with the net negative balance as well as honor our other debt requirements uh, to be more favorable, which could mean that even the 1.47, which you've expressed multiple times being uncomfortable with, yeah. which I still agree with you on, yeah. Uh, the, the only other magic bullet would be that that wouldn't necessarily be necessary to meet those obligations. That does nothing for our structural underpinning. That reality is still there, and the long-range outlook, barring nothing happens to replace the waiver, and we don't find a way to bring in additional revenue of a significant order, all we're doing is quasi-responsibly kicking the can down the road. <laughs> I mean, doing yeah, it in a legitimately yeah. uh, good way that would retain all these services, but retain them for another year, and we're going to be having the same conversation next year. I, you know, I'm, I'm with you, except the psych emergency just doesn't make any sense to me because of the cataclysmic impact it's going to have on the community. Right. You know, it's, and, it, and I don't know if we factored this in, it's going to negatively impact our ED here at Highland. Yep. You know, the majority of the 5150s uh, are from uh, Oakland and Berkeley area. Yep. Yeah. yeah, no, we, I mean, when you say have we considered the impact, we have not quantified it or placed it in a model. There are limitations on a model for what we could do yeah, anyway. Sure, sure. But no, we haven't done that. Yeah. Conceptually, do we know that? Absolutely. And we know that uh, that impact still could only constrain Highland for so much because Highland can only take so much. Then it's going to, just like you said, it's going to impact the entirety of the delivery system. There is an argument here that there are more flush systems here who have more to lose uh, in addition to us that maybe they're, they're in the conversation. Like, how can we all preserve this vital resource for everyone? The challenge, I just think, is years and year over year, as I told you this year, we lost money in the waivers. We, we picked up more money, but we lost more waiver opportunity, and we were able to withstand that. 
next year is even more, about $25 million more million just in the waiver alone. So at some point, people have to come to a point, whether it's the payers, whether it's the rest of the delivery system, whether it's the it's county and others, that the, preserving this level of care for this community, that is, the demand is just growing. The, uh, the challenges and the complexities of needs that people have are getting more pronounced, more exacerbated takes everybody coming to the table to figure this out and it can't just be the folks in this organization or you as board members being the shield that says we can withstand keeping patients here for six months longer than they need to be here because there's nowhere else for them to go in the community. We can stand keeping people in post-acute settings for eight years when they are able through resources to go somewhere else. We can celebrate the ones and twosies and I think we should, but we need a lot more. Yeah, I, I, I just remind the trustees that you know the thing that is shocking to me is the, the projections for the next three years just get worse and worse. So, so, so we, uh, eliminating we, these we, programs is not necessarily going to solve the whole deficit structure. No, it, it isn't. Yeah, that that isn't. But, but I'll tell design. you, a remedy would be worse is to try to be cute with it and not. Um, find expense savings. And that's, that's, institutions do that, yeah. and they get into really deep trouble. Um, that's why I'm, I'm uh, appealing to a credible and balanced budget approach where we uh, instruct staff that a particular uh, expense savings areas must be authorized by a vote of the trustees before we actually proceed. Right, but if we leave these same items, it's not going to be more than, what, 60 days or 90 days before we're... Correct. I think yeah. that's what we heard from staff. Yeah, we'll have, it's coming back to us. It gives and us a little time. That's right. And it gives staff some time to uh, try to answer the concerns that uh, that we have, and, and for the rest of the community to try to figure out where they, you know, whether they value these things or not. services yeah yeah I, f I feel very uncomfortable um, with both the OB and and the psych ES and actually even more the OB in some regards because I think when it comes to psych ES we have a partner that I mean so it's it, it, it's cataclysmic if it goes away but it's not going to go away because I believe that there is some type of mandate right that someone's going to have to come come in and fulfill that and that does not exist when it comes to OB services and I think with so much unclarity on that line there about psych ES, I mean, it is, it is hard to know what the real impact is because at the end of the day, I believe that as a county, we can't go below a certain threshold, and that's not only our responsibility to bear, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So I think, uh, I think we need to figure out um, how we're going to move forward with the process here, and let's have a dialogue about that. So the... Um, the structures could be to staff that uh, the OB uh, services and the psych emergency services are um, unacceptable, or that's a very strong word. I hear you using that. I find them pretty unacceptable. And then we would like staff to uh, find the 13 million somewhere else, find a remedy for uh, avoiding uh, those cuts. Um, 
and would we just wait for staff to present a full budget to the full Board of Trustees is the next step? Is that a... Can I, except I, I think the sooner we involve the county, it's, especially with the Psyche ER, the, beha mm -hmm. the Behavioral Health Department, the better, because they're... I, maybe the CEO can speak to what's yeah. happening. Well, I'm straining a little bit yeah. because um, I'm, we have involved the county. Okay. We haven't involved the county to the conversation of we, if we don't have a solution, we're going to cut these services. Actually, we've said that. If we have, don't have a solution, we're looking at cutting services. Right. We haven't talked about what it means to cut the services because we've been trying to find solutions to the services. We, I want to continue that dialogue. I really do. I think we have to continue that dialogue. I, I, I just, I, I mean, I, I want to respect what you yeah. said. I, if we, there, I, I don't feel, except with some kind of, you know, backstop of, you know, we got your back uh, uh, in terms of just an, a kind of an open-ended piece of, you know, to the tune of, of 18 to 20 million dollars or so if you need that, uh, that, that there is no, in the next week and a half, which is the time between now and posting for the full board meeting, we're not going to find other services that you, that we could cut that, quite honestly, you should be concerned about as well. I mean, not as far as we're concerned, all of our children are beautiful, and so <laughs> so it, it pains us to put these kids up. If you if you were, and if we if we were to uh, uh, do something else, it wouldn't be that you know we were saying you know that cardiology, you know, people's hearts aren't as important, or people's lungs are as, aren't as important, or their bones aren't. If we said, you know, we could stop doing orthopedic services, and, you know, that would do well. I mean, everything we do, pretty much, when you look at it at this level, loses money, and that's the best we can do at this level. Now, when you drill down and you apply supplementals very uh, discreetly to, in, in more cases, what it's becoming, before supplementals were more broad-based, now at P4P, we can, we can even the supplementals that we've applied to some programs shouldn't be applied to them at that level. We could redistribute uh, it yeah. more uh, precisely generic, and it'll make another area look bad. And then we say, okay, well, you know, there's more cardiologists in the community, so we'll refer patients out. It won't be our problem, but let me tell you, running a comprehensive acute care services with a trauma center and not having those types of services, you're pretty much shooting yourself in the foot, too. So we just, I mean, if I were, when I was in L.A., I ran a hospital that did transplants, that did kidney transplants, which is uncommon for public hospitals. If I had a situation where I had some really uh, uh, nice, attractive, high-end service that would be great for attracting residents and fellows and other sorts of things, but we couldn't afford it, um, I would say that's what you should be looking at. And somebody else can do that. We don't do enough volume of it anyway. And we have a few of those that are in that bucket that got us all the way down to the 20 million. And we're not even talking about those things, right? But those things are impactful too. If, if I believe we had those, I would say that's what we're looking at. We are very, we're, we're, we're in the middle range of very complex systems. We're not a very complex yeah. system. Yeah. Uh, we're complicated because we're spread out so much. We're complicated because we have so many labor contracts that we have to work with. We're complicated because we have inefficient systems. All that stuff we can kind of address with the right will and the right support. Uh, the, the, the labor one being the toughest, it seems, of all of those. Uh, consolidating services, you've been supportive of that. We're consolidating license. We're projecting yeah. a $2 million pickup from that. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, you've been supportive of the EHR. That's going to help us. Another $2 million, if not more. Uh, but the other stuff, everything we could put forward, if we go down that list, would be tough. I mean, I didn't mention the only other things we could do is close post-acute facility. We can come in and say, well, this is what it looks like if we pull out a Fairmont. 
if we're no longer providing SNF services. I don't know if we have the authority to say, again, whether we could close the other SNFs. Uh, it's under the agreement with Alameda. We'd have to say we're pulling out of that arrangement or we're telling them we can't do it anymore. Right. They're also running at very high occupancy levels. Again, yeah, it's yeah. running at high occupancy. So but we're, but we're in crisis mode, and we're, we and we're, we're, we're proposing things that are unthinkable. So while we're at it, I really do feel like we need to be able to analyze those options. I know they're, they're not pleasant. None of them are. No. Um, but I think the impact to the safety net has to be considered. The impact to the Medi-Cal population that doesn't have other options no. has, has to be considered. Our impact on Prime and some of the other uh, supplemental programs has to be considered. No. Um, because I think it's going to be disproportionate in all the programs I just said. Um, so, I, you know, and I don't know to what extent we've been able to to factor those things in. And then um, this is probably a smaller consideration, but I'll just reiterate it. It would be nice if we knew, I know this is hard, but what the margin losses would look like in 2022 as opposed to right now. Because to your point, not very many things are getting better. But if we think something's getting better, like OBGYN or something like that, and we think that that, that margin is going right. to look better, I would rather be evaluating that now <laughs> at, that, at that time point than, than right now. Yeah, it, it would uh, be increasingly speculative the further we get sure. out, but, you know, we could do it. The, the challenge for us is, again, your burning platform is, is the June 28th or 7th board meeting. Right. We have a, a obligation to you to produce something by that time, which gives us another eight, nine days, I believe, to do that. If we brought back to you a bunch of analyses between then, now and then, they would be more crude than even what we've done here because it's just not enough time to do that even if I went out and found somebody to give them access to all of our numbers and to figure this out. Um, I guess what we're appealing to you to say is what do, what would you have us do between now and then and what would you have us do after this? You, we, you could tell us we expect you or, or we would be comfortable producing a budget that said we realize that we want this target, and we put a a, 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 um, a really generic placeholder in that said, this is the opportunity we have to find over the course of the year, and that if we don't find this over the course of the year, then we're going to take some drastic action, and maybe during that time, you can help us to explore what drastic actions we might need to take. Uh, but you would then be producing a budget that said, you're you're pretending or, or portending that the organization could not meet its obligations. It was an interesting slip. Mm -hmm. Yes, pretend or portend. Uh, that, that basically this would be a backdoor to saying to the county, we're not going to meet that obligation. Uh, but you'd be saying to them up front, we're going to meet it weak. Yeah. And they'd say to you, you lied to us. You're not being transparent about what's actually happening. And, uh, and, and, yeah. and shame on you. And they'd be right to say it. So uh, <clears throat> what about, I mean, I'm kicking the, the, down the road as the expression goes, but what about just um, uh, looking at the first three-month budget as being proposed and just doing a three-month budget while we we consult with all the other players? I, I'm just, I have to tell you, I yeah. think the backlash uh, on this psych emergency thing is going to be on anybody's anticipation. I think you'll have people from all the cities, you'll have the law enforcement, you have mental health professionals, you'll have, you know, it, it's, it's just such a significant impact on the system. And I, under, I understand. I'm with you. Yeah. 
I'm with you. But uh, we wouldn't be the only sort of recipient of all of this backlash, right? I mean, we, this is right. a shared. I mean, this is a shared. Well, I believe you're right. <laughs> but we had. But I, I think we have to have the dialogue with, with the county, you know, about the specifics. Correct. Okay. Because if we don't, then they'll say, well, you know, that we could be out there by ourselves proposing this, and it, it just. We just need. We just need to let them know the specifics of what's happening somewhere on the process. So, so I shared this at the health committee on Monday, this, these exact programs. So um, how, what's the preference of trustees in terms of moving ahead? I'm trying to figure out how to satisfy. Um, I, I offered a, yeah. a compromise approach. I'm tell, open tell us, to other tell approaches. Us Re restate your comment. The compromise would be to recommend to the board the budget as proposed with the with a clause enclosed that would require staff to come back um, specifically to at within and we can put some definition around this within a two or three month period to specifically move ahead with the most uh, troublesome expense savings strategies, uh, IEOB and psychiatric emergency services. And when you say OB, I would uh, I just, I, I know you mean it all, uh, but. Uh, yes, I'm the, sorry. The, 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 the well baby, yeah, yeah, yeah inclusive, yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, I still feel like I, that we, this is like, we have nothing, else, we have no other choices. It would be nice to see it, are there other options. And so, if, again, for me, that would be going further down the list of the margin losses list, what else is on that list. But it would be also a site or a geographic look as well. Uh, understanding we don't want to create gaps in geography, but um, you know, are there other, and, and maybe it's primary care. I know we have the clinic in Alameda that we, we've, we've, we've discussed here uh, in the past. Well, that's, that's, um, that's in the list of closures. Oh, okay, that's on, the, yes. on there. Okay. So other, but other primary cares, other things that we think maybe that there is community capacity to handle, but that, that are, um, you know, maybe they're a little further down this list um, on the margins. I think I would, I would feel more comfortable seeing that um, and having some options to look at. So I agree, but you know the the, right. the the question is, how do we do it in nine days? Yeah, <coughs> right. Or can we? Ten days, whatever. No, I said, oh, yeah. can we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not necessarily but, just how, but, but I mean, can we, we? If if you you took my compromise proposal and you added another clause that would ask staff to come uh, with prepared to come to the full board meeting with other potential. Uh, means of savings. Even in a rough source, we could add it to the conversation, get ready for a five-hour meeting <laughs> um, as a way to, to, to meet that request. And then we can look at, because I, 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 my sense is of being part of this conversation for a while is then you start getting down pennies and you start getting at, you know, questionable savings. Uh, uh, a, some, a longer range, I mean, one of the reports that SAP put together uh, that I saw was uh, looking at, you know, the Newark Clinic, which apparently we own. Mm -hmm. It could be something we give up and sell mm -hmm. the site, mm -hmm. right? Um, okay, well, then you lose services, but you gain some capital. Maybe that's uh, going back to that, but it's sort of, it ends up, I imagine when you looked at it, it's sort of sand through your hands. 
it, uh, for real savings. It feels that way. We, we kept it on the list. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you give it up and you sell it and you're trying to speculate that you could sell it in a year or two, gain the cash. It doesn't help you at all. <coughs> the service cuts and the staff, the savings uh, help you. Uh, from the operating perspective, the cash helps you on the balance sheet, and right. we'd be presuming when we'd actually, you know, be able so to. It's a, it's so it's a real it's, option. Yeah, it's a real option. And it doesn't affect our prime or our FQ rate. Yes. It doesn't. Well, true, but I mean the rate across. So it wouldn't affect our FQHC rate across the board like some of the other. Well, there's. We don't just do primary care at Newark. So okay. We do some special services. Yeah, we close okay. Newark. We'd be talking about some specialty services as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's where that's the sand through the hands mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Um, but it, you know, if, if we can move forward but with yeah, if you add that see. as a, a part of the action to move forward to the board with a budget, um, with the, the cl first clause being uh, an understanding that uh, we're recommending to the board that um, the budget be passed with the understanding that. Uh, several key areas of expense savings need uh, specific authorization by the Board of Trustees within a three-month period. I, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you can, I mean, just for the sake of the process, too, and in recognition of uh, uh, the uh, incredible uh, discomfort that you all feel and we share with you, uh, I, I think you can, I mean, Talk about kicking the can. Down. This wouldn't be kicking the can down the road. It'd be just dumping it over. Uh, you could advance the budget without a recommended approval. Uh, so basically, you're advancing it to the full board for consideration. I think that's an action you can take, but I don't know. I'm looking to Mike to tell. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You, so yeah, and to be specific, you know what? You know, I think the report was the finance committee has reviewed the budget, has you know expressed. You know, concerns with you know some of the recommendations that are part of that. You know, whatever direction has been given. You know, in terms of advancing it to the full board, so that there will be greater clarity around you know the, the implications of those you know types of things. Right. Um, okay. And yeah. and uh, then we'll spend the time in that time trying to again. I mean, we can we can make this a little rosier. We hope uh, uh, and then figure out if we can uh, stage some things off. And then that also gives us the time that you preference that we can. Reach out to our county partners. You can, I'm sure, be helpful in that, and and, and see if we can come up with a different So, 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 so let, let, let me. I just came up with. Uh, so, what if what if we propose passing the budget and uh, and implementing it uh, and identifying those things that you know are six months down that we're not comfortable with? Okay, that hold. Oh man. Mm -hmm. And say that these are placeholders, and it, and that these are the following things that we're going to be doing in the next 30, 60 days. You know, an analysis of all of our facilities again, and you know what, what their revenues and expenses are, or review, uh, dialogue with the county about the proposed cut. You know, an, an, um, a number of things. Looking at what other potential services could be reduced. Um, Anyway, it's just a, just a thought. Yeah, that's, that's certainly an option as well. Um, um, I know that there's still going to be varying degrees of comfort with, with, with that as well, but uh, that's certainly an option uh, because, again, I just want to be realistic about what we can do in nine days. My, my sense is we're going to have the same conversation and we're going to have to yes. go through it. And, and this is a good uh, test run for staff, you know, where you need to um, produce some more information for the trustees. And we'll go through the same conversation uh, 
and we need to anyway. We would yes. need to do that anyway uh, in public, um, so people see the pain and suffering this institution's going through, um, and then we'll we'll tackle those um, concerns that you're expressing head on. Yeah, I guess for me, uh, I guess there's two things. One is as it relates to the psyche, yes, I want to understand the actual legal, what, what, would, what would happen if we did do this? What is the obligation? Because I think if we can confidently say, look, if we close psyche, yes, someone else has to still provide, you know, some the same level. I mean, I think then that helps me feel like we're not just completely, you know, leaving the community without anything. I, 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 I've been working with indigent populate as, as you do um, for I've been doing it for 25 years and my, one learning that I have is that um, no one else ever steps up but there's a legal requirement for the county well, to that's have a different question, that's, yeah, the, that's right. my question right but that's what, not our requirement is there a legal requirement for them to have psychiatric emergency services? Some type, I mean, that some type of crisis stabilization. Some, somehow we have, they have to have 5150 yeah. designated And they facility. have to have. Yeah, 5150 designated facilities. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that, and they would still they have to do that. initial evaluations. Okay. Yeah, and 5150 evaluations where you determine whether somebody meets the criteria to be held. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And normally yes. you wouldn't do that. You know, you don't typically do that in inpatient program by itself. I mean, I guess Correct. you could, if you changed our program to do that, then all you'd be doing is moving the fifth, the uh, the psych emergency into the inpatient. So right now, all three of our EDs are designated for 5150. Yeah. Uh, uh, um. See, and that that's one of my fears. Yeah. Yeah. Close that. Okay. The majority of the clients are from North County. Not all of them, but the majority of them are from North County. Mm -hmm. And you're going to flood end up right our, our emergency room. So I guess my question is, should we close a psych ES? Do we, as a, does the county then fall below some threshold wherein they will have to build capacity or find capacity somewhere else? Or will it just be that resource is gone and nothing else has to be bolstered? Well, I, mean, I, I think, I think it's, it's a practical question of whether or not there are adequate level one assessment facilities because, you know, John George, you know, provides both level one, you know, assessment and level two treatment and that it has the inpatient you know the eds at this point provide just the level one assessment services that then end up being referred over to john george so the question i don't know that there's a specific threshold i think it's more a question of under the welfare and institutions code do you have mm -hmm. adequate services to meet the needs mm -hmm. of the community which is Karen, I don't want to put you on the spot, but knowing that you've been in this space in so many different capacities, I wonder if you have a, any answer to this question. Let's go the Here or there? Either way. So to answer the question, I think... Um, General Counsel first answered it, that the, the county does have to have capacity, and Highland is certified both as a level one and two, actually, a treatment facility, a holding and receiving center. Um, right now, the county is not certifying any other EDs as anything other than the ability to, to, to uh, um, eliminate a hold, 5150, and 5150 only provides transport. So the transport has to be to somewhere. So without, with the absence of that, um, on, on the technical sense, although the county wouldn't be mandated um, to create a PES per se, 
However, the in net result would be that those facilities that can drop a release 5151 hold would be the uh, essentially the, 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 the center of making the transport to a receiving center, which would be a level two. And that's where John George inpatient is. So it would be that the other um, ERs would have to take on that part of the, the system because there would be no other and uh, I, and, you know, I've, I, I've worked with uh, several smaller counties where they don't have the psych emergency. And I can tell you the impact that it's had on the general hospitals is just unreal. So you, you have a general hospital uh, uh, ED, okay, and you have somebody come in who's, you know, really having some issues and is out of control, and they disturb the whole uh, emergency room, you know. And then you called... Uh, John George, say for instance, to, uh, we've got this client, he's ready for transport, and you say, well that's great, but I don't have any beds, right? And so then you start to call around and nobody else has any beds, right? And then that person stays in the ED for hours and hours and hours. Some of them stay for days, and I can't remember the is it what is called hoteling or house. I can't remember the expression for somebody. Warehouse boarding. 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 That you end up with boarding patients. And can you imagine in our, e, our ED here having boarding patients? You know, in our in our medical. I mean, it would. psych patients. We're board medical patients. Yeah, we're talking, but we're talking about psych patients. No, but we're talking about keeping the inpatient the same, right. right? And so it really it's not only our ED, but all the EDs in the entire county would basically end up having to build capacity, which is. And where would they get the funding from? And why would why would they agree to do it? You know, I mean, they're they're. I mean, this gets to some underlying questions. But they, if if I was. If I was Kaiser or I was Sutter and you said, oh, I would like you to become a 5150 designated facility, and I'm like, you know, and you like, no, forget the reimbursement. You just wouldn't do it because of the disruption to your whole program. Well, there would be no other choice, right? It's actually EMS and, and law enforcement, et cetera, yeah, everyone. They, they, can, they don't have to take somebody who's 5150. That, They're that not 5150 they have designated to dispo, facility. Do they have to dispo them? I mean, they have to find a disposition for them, though. Now, instead I, of just saying everybody go to John George, so well, the law, law enforcement does. would bring them to a 5150 facility. Correct. And yeah. so the the nuance is that a CSU cannot take a crisis stabilization unit, technically, that's not overseen by a hospital, cannot take ambulance transports. Um, a, the county can certify the outpatient CSUs to receive uh, to be a locked unit and they can receive 5150s to treat, but a CSU is a uh, lower level of care. So um, that's, the, that's the technical nuance in terms of statute, that the, yeah. uh, an, a hospital cannot be, can be a receiving center for ambulance and those transports in terms of the psychiatric patients. Right, and, and I yes. think traditionally psych emergencies are just an extension of emergency Correct. departments. Correct. You know. They're, in other words, you have an emergency department, and in it is a, is a psych unit. So the answer to your question is that we are asking why would they do it? They actually don't have any choice, right? They would receive the ambulance, and then they would have to find a disposition for well, the patient, correct? She's saying, like, like for example, in those smaller counties that you're talking uh, about? Like, or I'm talking yeah, about the other hospitals. In, in, in yeah. Well, in the smaller, smaller counties that I'm familiar with, what, what happens is they're, they're brought to the ED, okay, and then there's a treatment team from the county that comes in and evaluates the person. And then they determine whether or not, the, you know, they're going to leave them on a legal hold or not, okay? Mm -hmm. 
And then, unfortunately, and this is a big rift between the, the counties and the hospitals, is the counties leave the client at the hospital, and then the client, the hospital has to figure out what to do with the client. So it becomes uncompensated care. So, so and it, it has such a... That happens has, in... in uh, Santa Barbara County, for no, instance. No, Los Angeles, okay. it happens in Los yeah, Angeles. Well, Los An but Los Angeles does have, you know, four, four county EDs. That's correct. Right. Uh, with psychic emergency yeah. rooms. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but that still is not enough capacity, so, you know, there are a lot of places yeah. where the private hospitals are, are right. distressed with the so, number So now I'm, now I'm going to give you another picture. Okay. I don't know if it's still the case, but it used to be Alameda County had the highest rate of 5150s right. yes. per capita in the state. That's right. Okay. Is that still the case? Yeah. yeah. I, I believe it is still the case, mm -hmm. uh, but it has it was at least up until about a year ago yeah. to the last time I had Right. So I, you know, I mean, I was going to make that point mm -hmm. that the status quo is actually not really working it's pretty very bad. well. Mm -hmm. And um, whatever resolution we come to, it would be great to see improvement in the system. Uh, more crisis residential, more crisis response on the front end. Uh, again, those are not things we have the capacity yeah. to, to yeah. fund or support. Yeah. I'd also make the point that, you know, bottom, this, the bottom line is that we're being expected to take a loss of $5.4 million a year for these services and um, we can you know cut some other things to make up that difference but the same story is uh, in those areas as well I mean it's just a, a balloon for us just just to clarify this these the figures you're seeing are for six months right thank you that's uh, 11 million there, mm -hmm. almost okay so uh, I think given Jim Council's Last advice, maybe what we should just say is um, we've had the beginning of a robust conversation about uh, a budget. Go the budget. We pushed the conversation forward to the full board, and uh, I think some ideas have come forward yeah, uh, we'll, for staff to explore. So uh, we'll continue. We, we've heard uh, uh, your input, which is uh, uh, very helpful, and we appreciate that. And as uh, we indicated, we're we're continuing our work uh, because we're equally uncomfortable with this. Um, uh, we had already intended that the next uh, presentation you see of the budget will um, uh, vary um, at least slightly uh, based off of that work, and then that outside thing that I just mentioned to you might, if it's if it turns out to be material, could be actually even better for us and something for your consideration but hopefully don't, we just don't know that at this point but we're hoping to know that answer soon so i just uh, want to underline uh trustee abelotta's recommendation that and it makes sense to me that that there's more of a platter of options sure and just to sort of illuminate us okay. uh, on what uh, we'll try to do that as possible, well. what isn't possible in, in terms of alternatives. Yeah. yeah, we'll try to do that as well. So then you'll have an understanding that, that some of those other options will be rough. Yeah, and quite rough. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but yeah, but I, that's fair. I mean, it, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, just for me, it's like n nothing is nothing's off the table at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, when you really look at something point, like this, yeah. nothing. And is I off think the, table. the rough means okay. We might want to encourage staff to go that way with a couple options that are on that side of the column in order to avoid one of these, knowing that we may have to adjust assumptions later about um, what we actually save there. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's probably the best we could do under the circumstances. I'm thinking that's <laughs> the case. Uh, 
not an easy conversation at all. I believe we don't have any other, I'm trying to get back to my agenda here. We're dodging the vote, is that what we said? We're yeah, I, I, I don't <laughs> feel a need to take action. We need to take an action. It was an action to move it forward. With no recommendation. I think everyone was listening was very careful. Yes. So okay. Ronna, you got you, you caught that? Every word. <laughs> <laughs> every, every uh, most important that Ronna got it. Travel team, travel team to the ER, level two trauma, ETA, three minutes. Travel so, team to the ER, level two trauma, ETA, three minutes. So the last item is uh, just sort of uh, revisit on the issues tracking. And so I'll just report that I've had uh, some practitioners approach me from the institution asking questions about uh, maximizing revenue. Uh, and uh, they've been helpful conversations. I've uh, continued those conversations with uh, Del Vecchio, who announced earlier that uh, there will be uh, some work done around maybe having yeah. someone come from the outside actually to help us uh, around the revenue. Uh, collection conversation that we've already put on our tracking sheet. That's correct. So it's taking a, an idea that originally came, I think, from the two of you, uh, and, and it's getting a little more uh, meat put on that bone. So Absolutely. Uh, that that's all I have to announce there. And we'll, Any other? We'll continue to provi provide updates as we move forward. Thank you. Um, we need to get through this budget first, right? Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's that. Um, any other? Issues that uh, folks want to recommend that we consider later. Okay. As, as we as we've discussed. As we've discussed. I don't understand either. <laughs> Good summary. Um, just the other issue tracking that I want to make sure we we, we pointed out. Now I'll make sure that this is updated. It was our conversation, our discussion around contractuals, and so the explanation around how that's managed. And so this is something that we had communicated before right. that will certainly happen after the budget process, but want to make that you know that we still have that on our tracking log to have that conversation around contractuals and our collection ratio and things of that nature. Yeah, and, and unless we don't resolve the budget, we, we have to resolve it uh, yeah, at our we're trustees meeting, but uh, just a reminder, we do have August. It normally is recess time to go have some fun or something. So um, it'll probably be September and October for that. I'll, or do stress for this island. Really? Oh, nice. Which one? Galapagos Island. Yeah. But you can say that. It'll be your best so luck. If you have the meetings, have them at the end of the Okay, I think we're there. So uh, uh, I think we're there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.